Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast with Savage Critics website. Before Turkey Day comes the Turkey Talk with episode 107, more than two and a quarter hours of comic book head scratchery with Graham McMillan and myself. This time around, we dig into the launch of Marvel Now with an evaluative analysis of Uncanny Avengers number one by Rick Remender and John Cassidy, Iron Man number one by Kieran Gillen and Greg Land, Fantastic Four number one by Matt Fraction and Mark Bagley, Avengers Assemble number nine by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Stefano Caselli, and a long, hard look at the first issue of All New X Men by Brian Bendis and Stuart Immonen. Also covered, A plus X number one, A versus X number six, Infinite, Saga number seven, 2008 D, Prague number 1809, and the quasi-religious importance of hard work. Show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com, where comments are always welcome and read. Uh, we hope you have a great Thanksgiving and or other awesome feasting type holiday. And as always, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Welcome to my underground lair, Jeff Lester. <laughs> That's great, Graham. I have to admit, I I always thought that you should have an underground lair. <laughs> Do I sound extra echoey in my underground lair today? Not currently. I know that you have in the past, but well, uh, we'll we'll see if if that happens later on. Maybe it's because your computer's now new and super and exciting that it's taking out the echo in our conversation that's right that's right it's hoarding all of the excitement and drama for itself so um ortho although who knows maybe the last time you recorded down there you also did not have a super awesome computer uh i no, i'm i know i would have because I've, I've had this computer since since uh the new year and uh, summer i was doing that yeah okay you're right then Hi, listeners. Um, I am in my underground lair. We are, and I'm going to say this not because it's boring, although it is, but because it may explain noises that happen later. Uh, we're having some work done in our house today. Oh, my. So I'm, I'm actually recording in the basement so that if, for example, something happens really loudly, mm-hmm. it will not completely, you know, destroy the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it may destroy my house. But it won't destroy the podcast. Well, I appreciate that's what I'm doing for you, listeners. Yeah, your 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 attention to priorities there is is very laudatory, Graham. Very laudatory indeed. Hey, can we talk attention to priorities? You had essentially time off, go family visit, the whole thing, yes. and you still managed to read comics. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, well, two things. A uh I really thought that it was kind of important. I thought it would be kind of embarrassing to show up here and be all like, well, <laughs> so how about that local sports team? Um, and also... Like we've not done that individually or simultaneously before, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is true. <laughs> um, but also, I, I really owe a debt of gratitude, uh, this podcast in, in particular, to all the uh, various listeners who have been kind enough to... Um, pass along their unused digital codes so that I could I'm catch on. So excited about this. So excited you're back on the Marvel train. Oh gosh. I'm also, to be honest, so excited that you've read uh, all new X-Men, which I also read. In fact, I read all, cause you sent me the list of everything you've read. Uh-huh. I read all as well. Oh, this is great. This is what I, I was kind of hoping for. Honestly, so I was like, I actually, that's not true. I've not read a plus X. Ah, interesting. Uh, but when I was reading all new X-Men yesterday, I was like, oh, God, I so wish Jeff was reading this. Oh, my God. That's so funny because I have to say, when I was reading it, I was thinking, God, I wish I wasn't reading this. So, 
I was going to make exactly the same joke, and you beat me to it. Uh, yeah, I have to say. So I, last this week, or last week, because you're listening to the readers, was a bumper week for new releases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's there's a bunch of Marvel launches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to on your X Men, there's also Fantastic Four issue one. Mm. Kelly Sue's first issue on Avengers Assemble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, was that issue nine? Yes. Oh, shit. I should have read that. Okay. There was Thor, mm-hmm. God of Thunder. Yeah. Um, what else was there? there? I feel like there's another Marvel book that came out this week. There, I th- I'm sure you're actually right, but if I try jumping over to Savage Critic, it's going to make a lot of noise if I don't. Um, otherwise, I also got, for example, Red She-Hulk, the second issue of Red She-Hulk. Oh, interesting. Um, the new issue of Batman. Oh, the- yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Issue of Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saga returned. I yes, mean, it, yeah, it's an amazing week. I was really kind of bummed that I couldn't, I didn't get into the store, but I will do it since next week's a skip week. I'll be able to pick up a lot of books and hopefully read them over the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but no, I, I, the one of the reasons I'm so glad that you've read all those Marvel books is after reading uh, all new X Men, maybe not so much, mm-hmm. um, but Avengers Assemble, Red She Hulk. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I was like, wow, Marvel now is winning me over much more than I expected. Oh, interesting. Interesting. If you have read, let's let the listeners know, you have read Thor God of Thunder, All yeah. New X-Men, Uncanny Avengers, A Plus X, and Iron Man. That is correct. The first issue of all those. So uh, readers had sent me more and earlier issues, and I will probably get to those earlier issues later, but I realized it seemed to me really smart uh, thematically to read the first sort of Marvel Now issues so that I could sort of talk about uh, at least a portion of the launch that I was seeing, especially as as if I was a returning reader to Marvel since it's been... That, that's what I'm really curious about. As someone who has incredible affection for the Marvel characters, mm-hmm. I stepped away from Marvel not so much because of their stories, but because of everything else. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it as a relaunch? Well, that is a very good question. Uh, and in fact, I'm kind of not quite sure how to... Uh, I, I think because I had enough various feelings a- about it. Should we do it book by book, maybe? Well, no, well, let me start with this. Let me, let me start with uh, two big positives that, that I think are relatively applicable across the board is that I noticed that they were at least trying to take the concept of this relaunch very seriously in that um, there was unified colors, as I recall, for the recap pages um, and that each issue had a, a, essentially was um, priming us for for a letters page and had sort of a, a like a zesty hey look how much fun we're having mission statement from the editors yes so one thing that i was impressed with was it just at first blush a they obviously were trying to make to give to give everything a unified field they weren't running like issues from their other storylines but it really did have a little bit of the um I guess the the external appearances uh, of an actual um, uh, a new launch, 
and also that the editors were putting themselves very to varying degrees uh i felt were putting themselves very strongly up in front as um co-collaborators and participants in the launch if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know so part of me was a little bit like i mean you know i'm used to seeing books where people are like hey yeah you know we cooked up this great story and then we hope you enjoy it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, one of the things that he whose name should probably not be mentioned out loud that I always appreciated about his books is his letter columns always did a great job of putting all the creative people first, I guess, while still fe- having its own unique individual voice, at least in the letters page for, say, Daredevil. Um mm-hmm. I thought that some of the, for some reason, all new X-Men and at least one other that I can't remember had this real strong element of like, hey, I'm running the show and I cannot believe, you know, how delighted I am for you to see the story that we have cooked up, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, you know, Marvel editorial is definitely putting themselves forward as the voice of the book, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was, I thought that was noteworthy. I suppose. Um, so that's that's really my my one thought overall before getting into the individual issues. Some of which I liked, some of which I, I didn't. You know, um, but you know, as an overall format, even as I sort of liked uh, the feel good fascistic elements of the trade dress and the editorial elements. I was also kind of aware that um, as jovial as it seemed, it also felt very much like a lockstep and also a a gentle reinforcement that this is not that this is product, but that this is something that comes from editorial rather than, I suppose, the way that you could sort of pretend otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's interesting part in part because I dislike the um the cover design and and the way it is is done mm-hmm. i i think just aesthetically it's it's kind of horrible i think there's far too much in it yes and i, I think that it makes all the covers really weirdly exceptionally busy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that they didn't seem to be before if that makes sense even if you lop off the the red mark at the bottom for mm-hmm. some reason everything else seems really squashed in there yeah i agree i i was definitely for me uh and i, I hate it sound if it sounds like I'm backtracking, but I, I, I may have been unclear. Uh, the the inside front cover pages were all done in that red font with the white text um, for all the books that I read. And the recap pages all seemed helpful and easier to read. Like mm-hmm. before that was something that seemed to vary from, from book to book with Marvel. What? What's interesting is that's actually not the case in the other books. Oh, really? <laughs> so for example, Fantastic Four doesn't have that. Red She-Hulk doesn't have that. Oh. Avengers Assemble doesn't have that. Wow. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's coincidence. I think that's just really? Ink. Wow. Huh. That's um, funny. I, I, I know what you're talking about on, the, on those books, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't actually tweaked to that. I hadn't actually noticed that, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of it being editorially driven product, mm-hmm. part of me almost thinks that's sensible. <laughs> yes, days. right. 
um, given the way that, just basically given the way that these things are approached and these things are put together. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that if they do put the creator further out there, and I think that Marvel actually puts the creator out there more than DC does. Yeah. Significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll get a... Uh, for example, I think all of the collections of these mm-hmm. will... For example, I think it'll be Avengers by Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm. Thor by Jason Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they're also going to leave the books. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I think if they if this is their big outreach effort mm-hmm. and they do manage to get new readers in, mm-hmm. I think if they play this up as Avengers is great because Jonathan Hickman's doing it, they're killing their backlist mm-hmm. appeal. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also they're creating the potential for people to be like, well, now that Jonathan Hickman's done, mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to read Avengers anymore. Or mm-hmm. now that Kieran Gillen's done, I guess I'm done with Iron Man, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a danger that they don't want to have to deal with. Agreed. Which is fascinating because I do, for the most part, considering how long some of these guys have written for Marvel, and kind of the noises that um, have been made from editorial that these guys are coming in, and that the Marvel now runs are going to be fairly expansive enough for for the creators to tell the stories that they want to tell like in other words they've put all these messages out that yeah no these are the guys they're on these books they're on them for a while and they're really going to take you places that you're going to be interested to go i think you're right there's something about backlist they're just there was something pragmatic about the idea that's also editorial stepping up front um and i think it's probably I think, like you said, it's to me, it strikes me as this awareness that they're like, you know, yeah, we're we're still going to be here when everyone else goes away, whether through choice or, you know, normally the last couple of episodes, I thought we've done a pretty good job sort of doing the news and the reviews. I'm not necessarily sure if people are digging the format at all. I think they per se, um, because feedback's been a little light in some ways, but I am curious when did they make the? Because the whole Uncanny Avengers scheduling debacle is so. It, and I should. I guess I shouldn't call it a debacle per se. You, I think you can call it. A debacle I think so too. Right. Here's the thing: if your launch title mm-hmm. immediately is late, mm-hmm. like is late with the second issue, and features a substitution of artists with your fifth. Yeah. I mean. I mean, and it's not just slightly late. Issue two is two weeks late. Issue three mm-hmm. is going to be a month late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a disaster. Yeah. And funny thing is, I saw uh, your favorite editor in mine, Steve Walker, uh, in Bleeding Cool. Oh, really? Or, actually, maybe it wasn't Bleeding Cool. Maybe it was Twitter. Or I can't remember. I saw him somewhere mm-hmm. make some comment about, yeah, people are just getting upset because books are late. Like, that's never happened before. And it's kind of like, that's a complete massive straw man argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if if your flagship title is late because of something that everyone knew was going to happen as soon as you mentioned John Cassidy as the artist, because he's never been able to hold down a monthly deadline. Right. Well, and I think there's two stages of it, which is, I mean, one, what, what I, is impressive to me is when it was announced, people... Uh, like I think you might have mentioned it blog at Newsarama, and there were certainly a lot of commenters who essentially their most sort of dire slash quasi-sarcastic 
ideas about when scheduling was going to go awry were dead on. You know, it really was the whole thing of like late by issue two, replacement by issue five. Like, I mean, that's like that would have been the sort of thing that someone would have put in a parody column in the uh, uh, if they were spoofing the original press announcement, you know, yeah. for it to actually happen that exactly that way is um, it's stunt. I think what's stunning to me is, is that Marvel does not in any way see that by not addressing that issue when it basically when the title was announced and people brought it up, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. And now, of course, when they're saying it, they're like, yeah, but, you know, what was everyone expecting? No, but the other thing is yesterday, because they announced that Olivier Coppel or however you say his name, is the artist in issue five yesterday. And Tom Brevoort was asked in a press conference, what's the deal like is john cassidy yes. going to be the artist on an ongoing basis is it always going to be Kuiper taking over an art mm-hmm. are you going to have revolving artists what is the deal with this and he touched the question he did i i remember seeing the blog at newsarama press conference call where one thank god somebody was like what's the deal and he's like oh that's the subject for we're holding a whole nother call on that and then it was yeah, it was amazing. It, yeah. If we have, he basically said, if we have a villain artist, we're going to have another conference call. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Oh my god! Yeah. And I mean, I really was. I was like, this is. It it really had to me. I was like, this is this is kind of farcical. This is really farcical. And there's a way in which part of me is like, um, I, as you know, I I tend not to follow this stuff too closely in part because i just feel like at best it feels like a zero-sum game in some ways that being said uh if you're doing a soft relaunch where you're telling everybody that things are different but nothing is different you know what i mean (laughs) except those red pages you know then yeah it's 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 a really it's a problem because their launch title has already and issue two is not out yet has already come Right. To signify exactly everything that was there before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, say what you will with DC. It at least took them five, what, five months until their first, because it was, wasn't Justice League six, like the first book to ship late? Justice League five was the first book to ship. Five. Okay. So five, you know. So, and and Marvel managed to not even really come close to that with like issue two, and then the rescheduling, and then a fill-in artist. It's, I mean, they really did. There's a lot to be said. Well, there's two things. Again, there's the disingenuousness, the sort of bait and switch, like, you know, what, what, why are you guys? I don't understand, you know, kind of thing. But there is also Marvel's going to pretend that this doesn't make any difference, and. At the retailer level, that is just not true. That's the part that really upsets me when you see Stephen Wacker or other people be like, ah, like a late book's a big issue. For Uncanny Avengers issue three, it really is. Because mm-hmm. retailers will have ordered bacon issue three. We mm-hmm. just know that. And it's not going to chip in that entire fucking month. Yeah. Yeah, which is, you like, know. Like, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Retailers mm-hmm. will have used some of the... Uh, large amount of their money yeah. to order that title. Yeah, to prepay for it. could have spent mm-hmm. on other things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's not going to be there that month. That is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so um, that being said, maybe this would be a good segue for me to talk about the individual show. Although, actually, b- let me find out. So is there it is there any other developments on that apart from from am I sort of more or less up to speed by their whole Wizards like Uncanny? yeah you're you're up to speed with Uncanny Avengers oh, okay all right so that being said you read the Uncanny uh, Avengers the first issue of that is you know from last month what? and you yeah when it came out yeah and you told me about it so I knew on the one hand I knew what I was getting into but I have to say I was impressed by how not good it was you know and and i i mean it ha- it's yes do you think it's cassidy like i i was th- consistently thrown off by cassidy's art you know there were a few flourishes uh of cassidy's art that i thought was actually pretty nice um you know what was interesting though uh was i had a situation where i'm trying to think exactly how this came about but essentially oh i know um, you know, being being the uh, modern family that we are, uh, Edie and I were like sitting out in the living room and I had been reading Uncanny Avengers number one and I wasn't all the way through it. And she came in and there was something I wanted to show her on the computer uh, that were these uh, Diwali f- photos that were just gorgeous. So I, I go to get my computer to, to show her the Diwali photos and she picks up Uncanny Avengers and she begins reading it. So, so... I basically can't get my iPad back while she's looking at it and she flips through it and she handed handed it back to me and she was like, well, that was pretty dumb, wasn't it? You know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it was. She's like, that whole thing with Wolverine, she, she was like, as the Brits would say, just whinging on and on and on. And I have to say that, that, and maybe this is something else that I, I hopefully can fine tune as I get back into um, all the issues. But it it may be a side effect of of me having the my primary reading being manga in 2000 AD, um, which are both paced very differently. But all of the Marvel now, the majority of the Marvel now books, I thought were horribly paced for first issues. They were unbelievably padded out and uncanny avengers really felt that way to me like it may have been a quote unquote better issue in the sense that you got a fight scene you got you know opening and closing scenes with the villains um but the wolverine scene went on too long the the havoc scene stuff was nonsense and then the rogue scarlet witch you know like and goofy super villain scene was just like there was too much stuff that was shoehorned into it, and then on top of it, the stuff that was in there was really badly paced. Like that whole havoc Cyclops scene played out like wretchedly, and the whole like oh we're recruiting you, you know, um, you know our go to like tongue job guy, you know, like havoc. Havoc is such a nobody character, and it was fascinating in Uncanny Avengers how they were just like. Oh, we have to tongue bathe you. You are you are the golden one now that your brother's gone rogue. And I'm like, based on what? You know, like I'm I don't even mean that in any like I didn't read a version versus X Men. Let's recruit havoc thing does come out of nowhere, nowhere, and it may it makes not one lick of sense. And I'm like, okay, I haven't 
you know, my history of following Marvel in the 90s was spotty. The last couple of years has been spotty. But if there was if there was any time where anyone in the Marvel Universe or the people who read Marvel comic books were like, yeah, Havoc. Like, I don't, it, apart from when John J. Muth was drawing him, I don't, I don't remember it. Or was that Kent Williams? It, it was both. Oh, thank you. You're right. It um, was. But I think that period was probably when Neil Adams and Roy Thomas created him. Oh, that's true. That is true. Or, or created Havoc, I should say, as opposed to yeah. Alex Summers, because he, he was... Actually, did they create Alex Summers as well? I, I, It wouldn't surprise me if they did, because I don't remember much I don't mention. remember Alex Summers being there before being Havoc. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't a lot of mention right out of the gate, but uh, but maybe at some point. I mean, mm. He's I mean, certainly I, not the first uh, I was going to say I liked uh, Havoc when he was an X Factor with Peter David's, like way back when, the, mm-hmm. the original Peter David run. Mm-hmm. But now that I think about it, no, I didn't. Right. <laughs> I, I actually didn't. I liked all the other characters, and I didn't actually like Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I actually do believe it. Uh, he, just... uh, he was created by Arnold Drake, Don Heck, and Neil Adams. Okay. So, oh, and Neil Adams, too? Apparently. Huh. I wonder if they're just giving him costume credit. Yes, they are. They're just giving him crossing credit because he was created by Aaron Drake and Don Heck as Alex Summers in X Men Fifty Four. Okay, that makes sense. And then, and then they, yeah, they went to town with it. It was interesting though. So one of the things, so Edie's like that issue was really dumb, and she's like, but it was gorgeous looking, and I was expecting her to say the art, and she said, with the coloring, and and admittedly yes, she was looking at it lovely. Yeah, she was looking. Admittedly, she was looking at it on an iPad, so that might have been part of it. Is she was like. She's like, maybe it's the iPad, but the colors are gorgeous. And it's true. The actual little sunset showdown sequence between Scarlet Witch and Rogue is really unbelievably underwhelming art-wise. But the coloring is phenomenal in terms of the the pinks and uh, purples that they that the colorist puts in. I'm assuming it's Laura Martin puts in for the, the scenes at sunset. I mean, it's really gorgeous um yeah uh, you know no, laura martin laura martin saves the yeah. art for, she's for Cassidy. she saves well she saves so much stuff for marvel i think but yeah she really did save it for for here i you know those those the last four pages of uncanny of uncanny avengers not just with the red skull and professor x's brain but the super team of original villains that are so dumb, like that it's that it's almost <laughs> kind of charming, you know. Like you, you don't like the goat faced girl or the living wind. Yes, those two of them made me laugh. I I thought it was great. I'm like, holy fuck, how great would it be that the Uncanny Avengers are going up against Axe Cop villains, you know? But but they made me laugh, and of course, Cassidy's like, I have to give like, let's face it, goats don't have shoulders, so it's really hard to get ahead a goat head on a human body, which is not anything I gave any moments of thought to. But once you see that goat head on, you know, the hot chick body, I'm like, that head doesn't look right. I know why he put that (laughs) scarf there because it's just not, it's not centered right, you know? And I'm not like a dude who notices that. But yeah, like when the living wind comes up and the wind is like, I live to attack. I was like... It's because it's the living wind. The live, wind is talking, Jeff. I know, Graham. I know. I and, and I have to admit, that was so dumb I adored it. So I totally get what you... Why you said sort of like 
it was pretty bad, but the the ending was so batshit insane. That you oh know, no, totally! And then you go from there to Thrinskull holding up the brain and yeah. giving a monologue. Yeah, yeah. You you. It's like I almost do. I I was like, it was shitty, but the last four pages were kind of. I might check this out again. And this is the other thing that I have to say is really weird about my new legal gray area reading of Marvel books is it's very hard for me to like it no longer becomes about money. It actually becomes about the about effort, like the effort it takes for people to send me the codes and the effort it takes me to redeem them, which is not necessarily a lot of effort per se, but enough that I want to actually read stuff that people send me so that, you know, they didn't type the 12 digit code, you know, in, in error, I guess. And so part of me was like, yeah, I want to read this next issue provided not, not only just that kind of like, but I, I don't think I would want anyone to have to pay for it for me to do so. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, that's just it. It has this book. I think out of all of the Marvel Now books that I've read, mm-hmm. this book is the one where you're like, I would read more, but I wouldn't go out of my way to read more. Yeah. I would read more if someone put it down in front of me. Yeah, exactly. I, I really would. Which is which is considering uh, Cassidy's art, that's a bummer. And also, I have to say, I had forgotten, because I always get this confused because I wasn't paying attention. I started reading the issue, and I was kind of like, man... Jonathan Hickman's really coasting here. I was fascinated that there was a, um, that I thought that it was Hickman <laughs> because that's, even though it was slapped all over the cover. And I, and then as it went on, I'm like, huh, this is kind of way more sort of nihilistic than I think of Hickman's stuff reading. So by the time I got to the end, I'm like, oh, right. It's Remender, right. Yes, this definitely isn't Hickman. Yeah, exactly. I had that thing of, A, this definitely isn't Hickman. And also, um, Remender has a zone that he seems to work well in. And I have a sneaking, unfortunate suspicion that Uncanny Avengers is outside that zone for the majority of it. So we'll really see where where it ends up going. But So when you said, did Cassidy like, blow it for you? There's stuff in here that I thought was generic and and really surprisingly weak for him. But even the parts that I enjoyed, um, but but even despite that, there were parts that I liked. And yet, I think Remender was the real weak link there. Like the color, it's a weird like twenty fifteen twenty years ago. If you'd said that the strongest part of the book was the coloring, it would have been damning with the most damning of pra- uh, of non praise. But yeah. but that actually is kind of a compliment um what is what i kind of want to do is be like jeff you should go and listen to the new decompress podcast in which rick remender talks about writing uncanny avengers one. Oh, that's funny um but- no seriously because i ended up liking this issue a lot more after hearing rick remender talk about it oh yeah yeah um and it's it's liking in the weirdest of way i ended up appreciating it more because i was like well he did all that work yeah see. does that make sense yeah I like do. as opposed to mm-hmm. actually liking it but yeah. i i really had the, the response of well bless him he's trying he's really thinking about it yeah i think that that is probably the thing that is unfortunate is that is probably the biggest what's the word mistake fallacy i don't know it's it's just 
our 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 new unfettered access to creators um i think there are some things that you know it requires and that's usually like trying to be completely absolutely polite to them if you somehow encounter one another on social media or whatever but the but the idea of somebody working hard if it's still a big old pile of poo you know what i mean and i'm not saying uncanny avengers isn't full poo but for somebody who who <laughs> Who really liked what Remender did on that first, I don't know, 16 issues of Uncanny X-Force before I, I stopped reading Marvel. Well, that's just that I'm also wondering if our different reactions to Remender's contribution to this are due to our different reactions, reactions to what he's done before. Yeah, well, could be. Because could I, be. I run much more cold on Uncanny X-Force yeah. um, than you did. And I'm wondering if his what he does in this book that doesn't work so much for me shall we say mm -hmm. um is the same i have the same apathy as i did for uncanny x-force and so i'm kind of like it's not all there but there's enough there that i appreciate mm -hmm. and so it doesn't seem like a step down whereas for you i think it is a step down i, th I think for you uncanny x-force it was much more in your particular taste and your sense of this is what i want from a comic well yes and no but i think I mean, I don't let that could be true. Let's put it this way. Uncanny X-Force was a relatively grim book with a relatively grim premise. And Remender, I thought, did a pretty good job of taking that grimness and and running with it and also like throwing in some weird dark humor to lighten things up. That's I don't think that that tone would be right in Uncanny Avengers. And I think for the most part uh remender to his credit did not try to lean on his strengths in that regard for what i consider strengths my problem is is that he what's left is not anything that feels especially strong otherwise you know what <laughs> especially i mean especially interesting <laughs> yeah it just really it kind of wasn't it really wasn't i thought that he did an okay uh you know he's written wolverine before so he did an okay you know wolverine speech but there just wasn't much in there and admittedly you're he's trying to hype up alex summers to really justify his place and and probably you know front and center place on the team and it he goes about it via the series of tropes that people are leaning on so i can't really call him out for it in particular but it really didn't work you know um does it does it make you curious to read remainders captain america that's a really good question i would be surprised honestly because I, I i just I just don't think that there is, but I, you know, I could be wrong because in some ways I feel like Remender, some of the stuff that Remender does when he's doing it right is probably closer to Brubaker than a lot of other dudes. Mm -hmm. And so it's entirely possible that his Captain America could be awesome. Where's that? Th who had the. But bear, bear in mind. He, he, uh, Remender's Captain America is the Kirby Captain America. He's doing Captain America as crazy sci-fi. Oh, right. He's, he's actually doing Captain mm -hmm. America as Commandy, it looks like. Wow. Really? 
he's doing some sort of like Captain America in Brutal Wasteland. There's a small blonde child with long hair that has to be protected type thing, it looks like. Wow. That's kind of great because that does sound like commanding. And also there's that wonderful, as you as you may recall, post 200, like the two, the closing next to story, close closing storyline issue 206 to 212 of Captain America 211, I guess. It, no, 212 is uh, is the Red Skull's weird land with Arnim Zola and, and, you know, very strong island of Dr. Moreau riff with strange creatures and, and Cap trying to fight through them. And that is great fun. But wasn't there like a preview page that's like Captain America, like, you know, fighting some like, you know, flatu terrorist or something like that that was like Remender or something? Like uh, some guy with like maybe, wind powers. I, I don't, and I don't like think I've seen it. Captain America is like, oh, I really... You know the thing about these punks is you've got to you've got to protect them and save them and give them the time of day because that's what you do. But sometimes it's a bigger chore than punching them in the face or something. That doesn't. Uh, uh, hang on, I've I've found the preview potentially. Yeah, it looks like it actually. Yeah. Okay. Because I read that and it had a lot of the. Um, in some ways, it remind it reminded me again. It's kind of like the the traditional Captain America beats a secondary character scene, you know, uh, just a minor character scene to kind of get the action scene out of the way and start things rolling. That seems very brew bakery and to an extent, you know, Captain America in some ways generally, but it just, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It struck me as I, I just didn't like it. It just it is. There's kind of this whole, like when Captain America is kind of a badass, and admittedly like Remender does this whole like, Oh no, but look, I'm making a part to no, see, he's saving him. He's, he's a compassionate badass. It somehow never quite works for me. It all, that always, but, but hasn't Captain America been a compassionate badass for the longest time now? Well, I think there's, how do I put this? There's compassionate Captain America. Uh, and there's kind of, Badass Captain America. like ba So if you've got like a sliding scale with compassionate Captain America being Steve Englehart's Captain America and badass Captain America being Mark Miller's uh, Captain America. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So somewhere on the slider there, I like it when it's rolled, as you can imagine, more to the left than to the right. And usually the mo closer you get to Mark Miller's Captain America, the more I absolutely loathe it and I roll it. I roll my, you know, roll my eyes about it until weirdly you literally get to Miller's Captain America, which is, which I have no, no real problem with, but anyone short of it, I just, I just don't like it. It's just this weird, like, Oh, here I am. And I'm shooting bricks and I'm like, you know, able to punch through boards and buildings, but let us never forget what being Americans about. Now I'm going to bite the top off a beer bottle and, you know, like here I am on my road hog because I'm Captain America. You know, I just, I don't, I don't dig that. <laughs> Did you love my my? That was I'm, actual I'm panels sorry, from but Spidey that, that Super was Stories. A good Captain America. <laughs> was it? <laughs> I, I I would I would watch that Captain America movie more than I'd watch Chris Evans in the next one. Yeah, well, admittedly, Chris Evans was boy, what a bad choice, man. I have it's to say, it's such a shame because Chris Evans is so good in other things. He's such but a good as actor. Captain America, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah, well, they, you know, it's tough because because Captain America, that I mean, Has you know, no personality. Well, they made that first hour work 
of Captain America. I really did think he's perfectly fine up until he gets the powers. And then even when he stops the Nazi spy. But after that, they're like, oh, and then and then the rest of the movie is purely not driven by Captain America. And so I'm like, okay, so they just kind of fucked up on the screenplay on that one. I'll give them some credit, you know, like, all right, fine. But then in the Avengers, which is ironic because I saw it first, I was like, wow, what a like a big flapping cinematic void this character is right there on the screen. It does not bode well for, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the, the next movie is being done by the Arrested Development slash community guys, uh, I don't I don't really yeah, but know. They're not, they're not writing it, Jeff. No, no, no. Although that would be awesome. Uh, but no, but I just mean that um, they really, they, they're going to have to work to, they might be able to get Chris Evans to have, to have his sense of humor come out in sort of a underplayed sort of way that might help give Captain America the illusion of a personality in the movies. Because I just, I don't feel like he really has one. Um, and It's that, a shame. Do you not think that, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like Whedon should have been able to do something with that, with well, the, with the the basic Captain America setup and yes. the way that Whedon writes character. I honestly was expecting Whedon to give him more more to work with. Well, he according to and this is this is based on stuff before everything came out. But so people who actually have the Avengers Blu-ray or DVD should actually know this and know whether it was full of crap or not. But Whedon said, yeah, I had a subplot with him. I had him saying some stuff about time and things. And then I had to cut it for space because it wasn't, it didn't fit into the movie. And I can sort of see that because unfortunately I know why you cut it because even if he put that stuff in Captain America was not, especially crucial to the Avengers movie. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have, like there's a way in which uh, not so much Hawkeye, but especially, I mean, because Loki's in there, Thor is, you understand why Thor's in that movie. The stuff that's developed with Stark and Banner, you understand why their stories are there and how basically how that stuff comes together in the third act. But if you have Captain America going like, ah, oh, I remember when clocks used to have hands and now you just read it, you know, kind of thing like that. <laughs> Could you hear that? Yes. I was like, oh, my God. I made such a good Jeff? point. Graham has turned into a robot. Can you hear me? Jeff, are you there? Yes, Graham. Can you hear me? I know Jeff is totally gone. No, I'm here, Graham. <laughs> I, I'm really here. Can you hear me? Oh, man. Hold on. Yeah, let me type. I Yes, I'm here and I can hear you. So you really can't hear me? I can hear you now. You uh, totally disappeared. Well, I totally disappeared maybe because that thing was so goddamn noisy cuz I'm like Graham, Graham. I <laughs> yeah, even did the that was, Can you closer. hear me now? Mhm. Yes, I can hear you. You can okay. hear me. Yeah. Basically, dude came up with his incredible uh, leaf blower right next to where I am. Okay, cuz and then you disappeared. You entirely disappeared. Yeah, I feel sorry. We'll have to figure out a way to cut all that out. But it was awesome because I really did have that moment of like, I made such a good point. Graham turned into a vacuum cleaner. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you should leave it in. And then, like, just edit from there. But yeah, that that's what happened. Dude came up with his leaf blower literally right next to where I was. And I couldn't. I knew you were talking because I could hear you. 
basically noise coming through the headphones, but I could hear anything else. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. It was so loud. But of course, I, I heard you perfectly. Hilarity. Hilarity, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And then I was like, Jeff? Jeff? Are you there? <laughs> I'm so glad. And then, of course, you sent me a Skype message. I'm like, shit, I can, I can do this. I can do this on my my beautiful new computer that is gorgeous and works, and it did. Uh, okay, so where were we? We were t- well. Where are we talking about? Oh, Chris Evans in the Avengers movie, which really wasn't. I, I was basically saying everyone had a reason for why they were in that movie. Oh, uh, apart from apart from uh, oh, Captain America. Destroy. Hey, which is a really really good jumping off point. Yes. Um, to Avengers Assemble. Yes, which you'll have Michele to talk Zubuk. about without me. Without um, me because so. holy crap, that's the comic they should have released to accompany the movie. Oh, really? It it's for me. It worked really well as an Avengers comedy. Not necessarily a. This is the way the characters have always been written. Uh huh. But uh, have you seen the movie? Did you like the snarky interplay between Snark and Banner? Would you like to see that as a comic? Would right. you like to see that as a funny comic? Sure, pick up this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it works really well. It, and also the other thing is it's an Avengers book that is so amazingly different to Bendis in tone. Right. That almost immediately you're like, yes, <laughs> funny Avengers comic. Yes, yes, I'll have that, please. Yeah, I th- I think that that's uh, I think that's actually that's really good to hear. So what? Excuse me. What happens in it? So the short version is um, it opens with Stark and Banner Banner each giving a presentation about the influence of science and technology in the future of humanity. Uh-huh. Stark is giving one at the wonderfully Marvel joke punny Stan talks instead mm-hmm. of the TED talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Banner's at the, at some, hang on, I can just look up the comic and tell you where he is. He's at, he's giving a, a, a lesson essentially somewhere. Mm-hmm. Empire State University. Um, and Stark is incredibly positive. He's like, technology can turn you into a hero. It can make your dreams come true. It's wonderful. And Banner is, technology will turn you into a monster. It is terrible. You can't lose, you you can't put all your faith in technology. You have to keep hold of what makes you human. Hmm. Um, and because of this, Banner wins an award uh, as like the best futurist, the sort of award that only really exists in fiction. Right. Um, and Tony Stark is understandably pissed. That's great. Basically, like, my, but I'm 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 a better futurist, mm-hmm. essentially. He's mm-hmm. basically like, you know, you you had, you know, you were so depressing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but you're just so rustle dazzle. At least I had some points to what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And they get into it, and then uh, a someone they both know has disappeared mm-hmm. at a search station. And instead of them being like, we'll go and investigate, Tony Stark basically like, I will come up with my own team of Avengers and we will beat your team of Avengers to prove that's that I am great. Better. I mean, that's, I, I hate to say it because it sounds like it's like I'm diminishing it, but that's like such the Richie Rich approach to Avengers plotting. And it's kind of brilliant. It's oh, no, kind of it's, brilliant. It's spectacular. Or and not even Richie like, Rich. That's actually like Silver Age World's finest crap. You know what I mean? Where like, Superman, like Batman gets an award and then Superman's weirdly jealous and then suddenly they're competing against one another. Like I totally like that. It's awesome. That sounds great. Everyone else in Avengers refuses to team up with them. Except <laughs> of Spider-Woman, who t- to piss off Tony Stark by going on the Hulk's team. 
<laughs> and Thor, because Thor is essentially an idiot. Thor is played <laughs> as a jock, more or less. Who's just like, it will be an adventure! <laughs> uh, and and that then like the last third of the issue is they go and investigate this and there are monsters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even at the and then there are monsters. It cuts back to the Avengers are following along with their quest to try and find this guy mm-hmm. via Iron Man Cam or whatever. And I you have know. Wolverine complaining that Captain Marvel has burnt the popcorn by microwaving it wrong. <laughs> like it's this weird. It it really is. It's like Justice League International. Wow. It's totally like Justice League International, and it works. Mm-hmm. It just works so well. Yeah, I have to say, there's there's a lot of people listening to us who uh, would be like, Justice League International version of the Avengers? I'm in. So that's really great, especially after the first... Because I, I have to say, that was one of the codes that um, was provided me, and I wasn't paying enough attention. I just assumed it was part nine of Bendis being Bendis. So I was like, oh, God, I have to get through. Because someone kindly sent me, I think, the first three issues. And I was like, well, I have to read those first before I read nine. If I'd known, I would have just jumped in and read nine. So It's it's, it's really good. Um, it's It really is it's such a it's such a change, but it's also so tonally consistent with the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It feels like such a course correction after the first storyline. That's great. Um, I a complete surprise. I basically picked it up because I was like, you know, I'm picking up a lot of these Marvel Now books. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. going to get this. It's a Marvel Now launch. You know, how bad could it be? Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who likes Kelly Sue's work. I was kind of underwhelmed with Captain Marvel, but otherwise I, I've really liked her work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It really was the surprise of everything I picked up yesterday, how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it it's the Avengers book for people who have not been liking Bendis. Wow. Well, that I mean, the that... people who did like Bendis finding enough in here to be like, okay, right? They're kind of like, oh, well, it's yeah, it's sort of it's sort of glib. I can give it a shot. Uh, okay, we've been talking for forty-eight minutes. Should we jump and then come back and talk more Marvel? God, this is going to be such a huge Marvel cast in so many ways. I think. It is 40 minutes, but we're going to have to cut at least two minutes out from when we lost connectivity because of the guy <laughs> going, nah. I think we should leave it in because it was hilarious how panicky we both were. You were like, Jeff? Jeff? Oh, Jeff, I can't hear you. And I'm like, I'm here. I'm like, I am so like all you re- listeners, all anyone needs to do to beat me in a fight is basically pretend I don't exist. I will then become panicked and run around trying to prove to other people I exist. And then you can just take me out like. That would be so great. So bad. I don't see Jeff. Do you see anyone? See, just you saying that, like like my blood pressure went right up. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's not joke with that. It was bad enough the first time. (laughs) It's really, really sad. I didn't, I don't know. I kind of thought I was made of slightly stronger stuff than the, I don't see Jeff. Where could he be kind of thing? If nothing else, it means that I'm really doing far more psychological damage to uh, when we go out and hang out with my niece than I ever thought. So that's not good. <laughs> um, when we come back, listeners, Jeff and I are going to talk all new X-Men. Oh, God. I feel like I feel like we have to, first of all. Oh, we have to. Um, so I think it's a really good thing to do after going, hey, Avengers Assemble is the Avengers comic for people who don't like Bendis. Because now we've got the Bendis X-Men comic for people who do. <laughs> Or for, for people who soon will not be liking Bendis, I think is the proper way. So, 
yeah okay so let me talk to you in like two minutes uh and then that is what we're going to be talking to everybody stay tuned Welcome back to this special Marvel Now episode of Wait What. Wow. Beautiful. Earlier this weekend, I was listening to um, All Things Considered. Mm-hmm. No, Fresh Air. Sorry, Fresh Air. Mm. Um, on a, as a podcast. And I normally listen, like when I listen to these shows, I normally listen to them on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I, I hadn't listened to the podcast. And I didn't realize, literally in the podcast, they don't even put music in between. So you have them being like, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. <laughs> There's in between. Yep. So, so, for example, if I was talking to you on a, on an NPR thing, mm-hmm. I'd be like, "I'm talking." Or if you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Jeff Lester, creator of the Wait What podcast. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, I'm talking to wow. Jeff. Wow. Yeah, it's that's pretty abrupt. So, what you're saying is we're better than NPR in that yeah, sense, and that, that we're actually. That is what I'm saying. I believe it. <laughs> Suck it, Terry Gross. <laughs> So speaking of sucking, let's talk about all new X-Men number one, which I'm really hoping that you love after all the shit that I've talk- been talking about it without actually talking about it. So. Well, here's the thing. Stuart Eminem can draw. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the limit of everything I've got to get seven on new X-Men issue one. It's, it's one of those comics where it only makes sense if you completely believe everything the writer is telling you. Uh-huh. Uh, because you've got Cyclops being ridiculous, and I love that he does the X sign with his hands now. I love that he's like, hey, I'm a mutant revolutionary. X sign! Sadly, <laughs> this is not like a video podcast, because I just did it. As when I said. Oh, that's a shame. Maybe you can send us a screenshot of that. I dropped my left shoulder to angle myself. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Ah. Um, but you've got that, and then you cut to the X-Men watching it. And mm-hmm. Iceman's like, God, when we were kids, we were worried about the apocalypse. This is much worse than the apocalypse. And at that point, my brain just broke. I was like, how is this worse than the apocalypse? Yeah. How is this any different from what you're doing as kids? I, this I, is exactly what Magneto was doing as kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and for the series to be based around the idea that Iceman is right, and so Beast goes back in time. Mm-hmm. Get those ex- could get them as kids, bring them into the future to I don't even know what. Yeah. Like talk Cyclops out of it. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Like why would he do it now as opposed to I don't know during Avengers versus X Men mm-hmm. when Cyclops turned into Phoenix. Right. Why would he do it now instead of I don't know when when Cyclops had been possessed by Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense whatsoever. You the only way this comic works is. If you believe, if you ignore everything that's happened to the characters before and just go with this as, sure, he's, he's saying it, so it must happen. Yeah, you pretty much have to ignore how things are happening as they go. Like, I, I was, I have to say, like, as you know, sometimes I can get a little pissy about craft. This was so shittily and lazily plotted. It was, it, 
it actually, I tried not to let it offend me, but he, so, okay. So it's kind of offensive. It Okay. So there is a scene. And at first I was like, okay, it's kind of cliche, but I'm going to like it. The scene where the two girls in Australia are going out because the one is like, you know, has the crush on the one on, on the cute hipster guy or whatever. Okay. A- apart from the fact, and it's interesting, I'm like, okay, so they, they don't in any way seem any way, shape or form sound like Australians to me. That's what, it is something that I totally forgot, but I'm, I'm willing to go with that. Like it, it, that's like not even really a complaint. But, say dude and bro all the time, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Ha ha. You crazy. You know what I mean? You did not. Ha ha, you crazy. You know, like, I'm just like, they're saying you crazy there. So, you know. You hit me. Yeah. It's kind of amazing how everyone in this comic sounds like a Bendis character. Mm -hmm. And you realize that there's like three stock Bendis characters because you have the Beast in his monologue at the start sounding like the way that Bendis writes smart guys, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has a really weird syntax that he uses for people who he imagines are more intelligent than him. Yeah, yeah. There's the smart syntax. There's the driven syntax, which is the guy who is, you know, who has a point to make and you may not agree with him. But But he will make that point. But he will make that point. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, did I cut you off? Are you in the process of making that point? <laughs> Were you going to be the the guy who's like the guy who? Because you have to repeat yourself twice. Yes. Yeah. Say what you're going to do. You then have to say it again, preferably in bold type, with at least three exclamation points. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So uh, anyway, sorry, you're so, saying. Well, really- I did. So I kind of had this moment where it was like at first I was like, oh man, really this scene. But I have to say, I'm kind of like, you know, this scene is sort of the X-Men staple. The chick who's out, who finds out her powers and is freaked out by them. Like, they used it a million times in Ultimate X-Men. But I kind of had this moment of like, you know what? If I was an X-Men fan and I get a chance to write X-Men, this is such a Claremont staple scene that I would write it and I would do it and I would go with it. You know what I mean? Like, I was kind of like, okay, I can see why they're doing it. But... I swear to God, maybe I, I know I wasn't paying attention, but but it couldn't have been done as sloppily as this is. Because you have a scene that's right. What's that? Kind of makes no sense. Right? It makes no it it makes no sense. It makes no sense and it has the ultimate in artificial bullshit stakes. Like so you you've got, you know, the the pretty dumb nonsensical thing where the where this the girl who likes the guy suddenly her brother pops up and like you know punches the dude that she likes for no reason other than he seems insane and then everyone jumps on him and again because our Australians refer to him as roided out uh, oh oh smooth move Reuter and they're punching him and then she stops time right she she literally her mutant power it looks like they're all frozen but. You don't quite know what happens, and then she's weeping, and then Cyclops shows up. Like I don't like it's been forty five seconds. They're in Australia. I mean, admittedly, no, 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 but then they explain it, and that's the part that really doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. The the we were waiting for you. We're going to have to jump in here. And it's like what is happening? He's like, well, you stop time and space, and she's like, 
why aren't you affected? And 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 Emma Frost says, "Oh, we have our ways." And I was like, "Fuck you, Brian that's, Bendis." That's my favorite part. That is my favorite part. She stops time, okay, mm-hmm. but she is not affected by the stoppage of time. Yes, and then stops is like, "It's been twenty hours." You'd think she'd know. Yeah. Did he even say that it's been 20 hours? He does. He says, you've been stuck. You've had the entire block stuck in time for for over 20 20 hours. hours. Give us enough time to come get you all the way here in the Gold Coast. That made no sense. They went with that weird thing. It was like, oh, 20 hours. And then then they're like, and the Australian army's right outside. And I was like, what? But they can't get in. But we can. But they can't. And I'm like, and she's like, well, how can you? And he's just like, we've got ways. We have our ways. I yeah. Mean, say, we know a few tricks. We this know is our first tricks. time doing something like this. That's actually the dialogue. Yeah. It's spectacular. It really is. It's like, don't draw attention to this thing you don't have an answer to. Don't draw it. Oh, you did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. He was like, oh, this kind of hangs out. Okay, I've got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get. I'll do the old screenwriting trick of hanging a lantern on it. And then it was, it was just bad. I mean, then when the army is like out there, like they're out there, like... Okay, Graham, I'm just I'm just weird that way. But like if it's been twenty hours and everyone's frozen in place, how do you fucking know? You know what I mean? Like people are outside the bubble. Like how do they are they like everybody's goddamn still in there? Quick, call the army. Did somebody like walk in and then just freeze in place and everyone's like, Okay, there's some forces turning everyone into mimes. Call the army. Like it doesn't make it doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. I mean, okay, maybe there's some sort of mystic powered snow globe that descends over this entire area, and the I army's like the idea that the army are out there for twenty hours, being like, "Is it gonna start yet? Is it gonna start?" Yeah, yet? basically, start they're, yet? they're like, "Okay." They run in immediately. It's, I know, and then they're like, Who, "What happened? Did you do this? What's going on? Is this a mutant?" And they're like, "I have no idea." And it, I'm just like. What kind of fucking bullshit is that? And then on top of it, it's not like, you know, the X-Men come in there and they're like, you know, I was hoping you could help me. Okay. You know, do they leave with her? No. They're just like, all right. So remember, it's really important. Stand there and act like you don't know what's going on. And then if you don't get shot by Australian militia guys who've been hanging out for 20 for a day and, a you know, a full day with their fingers on the trigger, provided you survive, will uh, allow you the zesty excitement of watching us like crunch soldiers to smithereens. And there's even a little shot of her in the back looking horrified, looking like she's about to be hit by a trunch. I was like. Mr. Magical Powers can fucking get in there, but you can't fucking take her out. What a dick. Like, I really was. I was like, I really, I was so appalled by... Jeff, why are you going to hate? I'm making the X sign with my fists right now. Oh, man. Yes, well, you should. It will ward me off. I just, <laughs> I just, I just had these weird... Mo- I was just like, um, I remember like a real crucial moment for me in understanding bad craft. When I watched, I the first time I think that I watched, uh, I want to say it was uh, Santo versus the Aztec Mummy. Um, that classic. Exactly. Santo is a masked wrestler who's basically a superhero. Uh, and God, it's been, it's unfortunately, it's been close to 20 years since I've watched it. So my memory is pretty faulty. But essentially, what's great is, is like, bad guys are doing things and breaking into stuff. And you basically cut to Santo in his secret lair. And he has like a TV monitor and he's watching them. And so he knows to hop in the car and drive off and go beat the pudding out of them. And you're like, 
did he just have a TV camera put in front of that one bank vault? You know, but then you've got the villains who have unbelievable omniscient power, uh, and they too are able to look at Santo on their little TV screen and see that he's like in his car driving over to beat the pudding out of people. And so the whole idea is like, you don't really have to figure out how people know things in order to have things happen. And and then you don't really have to explain how things happen because the whole idea is you're just throwing enough spectacle at the people that you don't know that that they'll notice. And there's a way in which that can be delightful. Like in some ways with Santo, it was so cheap, uh, but looks so gorgeous in so many ways that I adored it. Or it's just, it just kind of is offensive. And I, I have to say, I was offended by how sloppy the plotting and scripting was in this, that you, that he came up with an action scene that's, that made so little sense. The whole police station sequence, I remember, was kind of horrible. Like, that was also pretty bad, too. And also weirdly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Again. Like, I, I, I presume that character is going to appear again, mm-hmm. especially because he can bring people back to life, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. think that person would be useful with the X-Men. Who knows? Um, but... I don't know. It's just it was such a weird thing to see at that point in the book. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like oh. you've just had essentially that scene. Yeah, and then you have it pages, again, and then they're like, "And here it is again, over two, just to show you that he's not just doing it once." Yes, I guess, I guess so. And that 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 guy's probably a Deus Ex Machina later on when the when they end up having to be forced to kill this Cyclops, and then he gets brought back to life. Well, you know what I'm hoping, and it's totally not where they're going, but you know what I really hope? Uh-huh. That that character is taken to the corpse of Jean Grey and brings her back. Oh, well, considering they talk about how Beast is also in the process of being about ready to die over the worst, again, such... The, the, the worst opening? Yeah, it, it's, it's terrible. It's... And also, I don't understand. Does that make yes. sense? Like, mm-hmm. when... When Morrison changed the beast before, yes, it was part of his. Everyone has a secondary mutation. Yeah, these guys are when still the beast, mutated. When the beast turned for you in the first time, it's because mm-hmm. he drank a formula. Yes, I don't understand why the beast is mutating again. No, I don't either. And it's just, it's also okay. So let's see, where is this? Um, it's the very start of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get my iPad to sort of zoom into. Um, he's like, I find myself the victim of another, another neo generation mut- mutation. Another. another. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm just like science. You know what I mean? Like this this is a character who's actually a scientist and is like, stuff is happening to me. Stuff. Like, yeah, really? no, exactly. It's but like I said, that's the way that Ben just writes quote unquote smart people. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really weird. It's it's every time he writes a genius, and you know, in the Marvel universe, almost every character is a genius for sure. some reason. Right. Um. It's it comes across really. You can't believe that they're a genius. I guess. No, because he doesn't hang anything. Here I am holding my scientist fork, and I have proven indisputably that the evidence indisputably. Shows that I am dying. I'm like, really? That's not, that's just a conclusion. Where's the evidence? You know what I mean? Like, there's just, like, it's so lazy 
All of this stuff was really, really just lazy crap. Oh, and then when we cut back to the X-Men, like... Is it Storm's thing? Are you going to complain about Storm's thing? Because I found Storm's thing hilarious. Uh, I did find that horrible. Where she's actually. like, after all we've been going through, I'm not going to start a mutant civil war. Because it's exactly what it will be. Mutant versus mutant over who knows best for the mutants. I'm not doing it, Bobby. Not like every other X-Men story ever. Yes. Yeah, it would have been actually I, I, better if she said something like... All I've those been... other times? Yeah. No. We've, but this we've... time? No, no more. Yeah. Because that's enough, you guys. It's just, it was bullshit. I mean, that's the thing that I think is impressive is, is that Brian Bendis, man, he, like, not only does the stuff make no sense, but it doesn't even really manage to convince you of anything actually i skipped over that sequence because although i did loathe it i realized that part of me had read the other cyclops scene so fast i'd missed the 20 hours thing and i just thought that it was hilarious that like she stopped time and then suddenly everyone's there instantaneously and everyone's watching on tv now this is the other thing like if everyone's frozen uh, anyway i just i mean they had to show it no, you couldn't pick this book for the rest of your natural life you can you really can that whole scene when Hank comes in is like, I cannot tell you how completely done I am with risking my life for the humans. I was like, oh, this sucks. The same dumb humans that completely and totally hate us? Yes, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Upset? I'm more than upset, Scott. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so... It would be great for that cut Cyclops. He's like, I, you're trying to tell me something. Yes, I don't understand but I don't what get it. it is. It, Are it you really done? did. It, it reminded just, me if only of you a, could say it. Yeah, it's like a Venture Brothers script, but 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 serious. But seriously, but yeah, Bendis doesn't know. He thinks like even his attempts to be clever are like when the dumb characters on Venture Brothers are attempting to be clever and it's dumb. It's really bad. I was appalled at this really was like I was I wasn't expecting anything from the book. I have to admit it. So part of me kind of felt like the bar was pretty goddamn low. And when he had the the scene with the with the two ladies, two ladies, God, I sound like my dad, with the two girls in Australia, I was kind of like, okay, I can kind of see, like I kind of had this moment of like, I can figure, I could almost see where Claremont and Bendis could intersect, you know, if that doesn't sound like, like Bendis's sort of hammy dialogisms Claremont came basically had his own sort of bit hammy dialogue stuff and his own frustrated actorness that he really poured into the characters. Oh God, yes. You know, and and so I was kind of like, I think I I had that moment of like, I could almost see where if you did a lot of the Claremont tropes, but you did them with Bendis, but Bendis actually tried to bring, how do I put that? Tried to to make them updated as opposed to just bendicize them bendicize um i think it might have been worth it might have been worth looking at but this book was just a mess and so badly edited i just it was it was it was poorly paced it like you said that second sequence makes no sense of course it's super short but it's almost comical how short it is because you get from People going, crash, no, arg. And then on the next scene, you have like, I mean, these guys are just policemen. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. It's like, you're completely fucking killing the policemen. One of you could have done this. Or for that matter, Magic could have just teleported in there and kidnapped him without anyone having to be beaten up. People on fire. Like, it, you just blow the... 
you blow the setup sequence. I'm like, oh my God, like if you have a sequence where somebody gets rescued out of a police office, you usually have, if nothing else, like shots of all the police officers, the feeling of it being almost like a bunker, you know? But this was, he so cuts from his like, hey, you know, I don't know, like maybe he's like, the, the walls are supposed to look imposing and gray, but it just, oh, it was so bad. It was pretty bad. And I have to say, uh, to, to complete the entire, like, completing from the the first page to the last, that last page, like, enough said from Nick was, like, really kind of terrible, too. Like, this is the most drastically insane story. Drasty, you know? I just, I was like, this isn't cutting it for me. It really was, it, it kind I kind of really had this sort of, like, huh, so this is what the post-literate generation is going to be into. That's kind of a shame. <laughs> here's the thing. I was looking forward to this book. You might remember. I, I was thinking I there's yeah. a really interesting setup here. Yeah. This is like the most dull thing to do with that setup. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's, this was a terrific disappointment for me. Yeah. And yeah. I, I went in with the, this is a great setup, but then again, it's Bendis. I'm not getting my hopes too high. And yet somehow I was still horrifically let down. You know, it's interesting to me how badly I think, uh, for me, I feel like Bendis, and this, uh, please feel free to tell me if I'm super nitpicky, but I just think he, he does the first draft. His first drafts are first drafts, and they suffer from a lot of uh, structure problems. So for him, his whole thing is like, I'm going to start at the beginning, you know, and then I'm going to tell these other things and then I'm going to have this happen. And then when I end the first issue, it's going to be with Beast coming back in time. But in a way, part of me is like, wouldn't it be much more interesting to start it with the first scene of them back in time, establishing sort of who they are as innocents and having the Beast pop up out of nowhere and kind of being, you have to come with me because only you can basically change the future and then you move into the rest of it. Like I was kind of surprised by just how plotting and literal. Well, the other thing is. is that was the scene that was released as the preview. Is the last scene in the book? It's the last scene. In the yeah, book. exactly. Like that's that seems really weird. Mm -hmm. And this is not on Bendis, mm -hmm. although it kind of is because really that's the scene you start with. Yes, like, exactly. That, that is the scene you start with. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't understand. I mean, I guess I understand Marvel releasing it as the preview because it's like the core scene of the book. Mm -hmm. But also, you've in doing that, you have purposely fucked your own reveal. Yeah, you you well, you spoiled the end of your four ninety nine book or four dollar book. But there, also more to the point, there is that element of like all the rest of that stuff. You spend the entire issue waiting for it because mm -hmm. you know what's coming. You, mm -hmm. you literally are like, okay, get out of the way, yeah. get out of the way, get yeah. out of the way, get out of the way. Right. The other thing that's weird about this book is imagine a fictional reader who is picking up Marvel now and mm -hmm. coming back to Marvel. Mm -hmm. And they're not buying the books that don't have the Marvel, the Marvel Now logo on them. Because mm -hmm. they're like, Marvel Now, that's the real launch. Okay. So say you pick up Uncanny Avengers mm -hmm. and say you pick up this. Mm -hmm. Would you not be like... Wait, Cyclops is in jail. Mm -hmm. I totally was confused by that. I was just like, okay, they, he probably got let out. Because I know through somebody, I was like, okay, there, it's probably the AVX it, consequences. It's the AVX consequences, yeah. which takes place between the two books. Yeah, exactly. Which but I, yeah. Seems like a, a, a weird strategic tactical error. 
Completely. That, that it's not listed as a Marvel movie. Yeah. And for that matter, that his breakout is not mentioned in AVX. No. Do you know what I mean? You could have just spent a page mm-hmm. of someone being like, and then he got out of jail. Yeah. Yeah, no. I No, it's just that weird... After making such a point of having him in jail in Uncanny Avengers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to not have him escape from jail... Mm-hmm. In the book, he, in the Marvel Notebook, he appears in Nets. Yeah, he appears in Nets, but it's something that happens off scene. And again, for a unified line, you don't even really. That's one of those times where an editor's box would have come in handy, you know? Because yeah, it's true. There's kind of that why is this why? Yeah, it's it's not it's not good. Oh gosh. So, but so, I, sorry, I, anyone who might have been looking forward to all new X Men. The other thing that kind of killed my enthusiasm for it before it even came out mm-hmm. was finding out that it was spinning off Uncanny X-Men within six issues. There's something really weird about being like, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this book. Oh, it's being spun out into a second title before you've even read the first issue. Wow. Oh, so that's how it works. So the, the spin-off, the Cyclops stuff is going to happen in a separate... Yeah. See, and that, again, that's... Um... Right, because you're essentially dropping the dime that like, hey, this whole hook for the series it's not going to work you know what i mean like there's just there's just this way i unless that unless they flip it around on us i hadn't really given it much thought i i have to admit when like cyclops pack you know popped up with a bunch of his characters there's also something that i think is a little um you know it's that it's it's marvel's way of you know squeezing more blood from the stone like part of me is like you know what Give Bendis more time to actually write a decent issue and maybe have him like if you've got all new X-Men and the idea is, is that it's essentially a battle between two different teams, essentially led by two different versions of the same man. You know, that's that's an okay hook for an ongoing series. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. this but it has a little bit of the yeah, this is the reason why we get him up here and then boom. Then, I don't know, Beast dies and then his chances of going back in time are destroyed. So they're stuck there in the future and they don't know how they're going to get back, but they're going to have to get back. And then they go off and have jaunty adventures. Um, I don't know. I mean, I imagine there's going to be a way that they justify why the rest of the time isn't them spent trying to basically bring Cyclops to justice at that point. But I don't know. I just it, it just doesn't. It doesn't work as a concept. And yeah. I guess he's got the next five issues to explain why it does. Right. But it just, it seems so incredibly weird as a concept mm-hmm. and so nonsensical mm-hmm. that he's really going to have to work harder than he does in that first issue. Well, yeah. In the first hour, it's 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 so impressive how, how the opposite of hard he's working there. It just well, really Here's was. the thing. Imagine that that's not true, Jeff. Imagine that's the result of him working his ass off. Well, you know, and which is, again, is part of my thing that I was was pointing out earlier is, is it doesn't matter if you hear Rick Remender talk to me, talk about how hard he worked or if Bendis was on decompressed and being like, you know, oh, my God, I worked my ass off. Like part of you would be like, OK, that's just sad. But part of you might be like, <laughs> well, but the guy's really trying. So, you know, and I and I do think that there's a little bit of the. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter how, you know, how hard they're trying. It it just is. It, you got to You got to judge what's in front of you. And what was in front of me was pretty goddamn terrible. I have to say. Um, 
I, I'm not sure if I should talk about the other books that I was not pleased with, or maybe I should talk about the books that I did like. Talk about the other ones you're not pleased with. Well, I have to say, and I hate saying it, but I thought uh, I thought Iron Man number one was not great. Was not great. I know that you liked it, and part of me was like, I didn't like that preview page, and I thought it was not good. Uh, and I went into it, and I'm like, it's still not good. And I read some of the dialogue and I'm kind of like, I don't like, you know, you're like, Gillen's dialogue's good. I'm like, I have a tin ear for it. So rather than actually uh, bash the issue, I just have to address the fact that um, the, when Kieran Gillen's work worked the best for me was in Journey to Mystery, where don't expect people to sound like real people. You know, he's got the ability to build the tone that he wants, but in Iron Man number one, where he has like Pepper Potts saying something like, that woman's deceitful. Like, I'm just like, out loud? You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of that weird. <laughs> there there were a lot of things that I had problems with it. I really did. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it's going. There is a way in which, um, like Fraction, Gillen is very good with uh with the techno gabity gab you know in ways that make it sound kind of interesting uh and curious um so his whole like yeah this iron man suit is basically built out of a 3d printer and you know five sheets of xerox paper i have in my briefcase i thought was actually pretty cool but um and i do think that the idea of basically taking the plot of Fractions first storyline and Armor Wars and God help us Armor Wars 2 and the idea is that by mixing it with the extremist uh, I don't know virus I'm not exactly sure what it technically is te supposed to be called um, may pay some really interesting dividends but I again had that weird thing of like I don't buy this dialogue and I think the pacing's really off so I don't know. I, I have to say, I know you liked it, but I was like, mm, Graham, I got to tell you, you're, I, I think we're going to end up on opposite ends of this particular spectrum. Cause there's I, a... I'm okay with being on opposite ends of that spectrum. You don't have to, don't feel bad about that, Jeff. Think okay. of the many comics we've disagreed on in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're like sparing my blushes and I'm like, Jeff, it's fine. <laughs> well, because part of me is sort of like, I do, I do sort of want to give you I guess it's a certain amount of credit and also you've been following enough of this stuff to where it's like, you're like, oh, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, Graham, I picked this up because of you and you were wrong. <laughs> I picked it up even though I spent more, no money on whatsoever. Oh, absolutely. You, and it let me down. Well, and I have to, I have to say that uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that we have a direct, uh, there's a direct correlative here, but I am impressed that considering we, we generally talk, I think, very well about Kieran Gillen. I had no less than four separate listeners offer me the code for this book. So, uh, you know, I don't know how it's doing sales-wise, but certainly from an utterly random sa sample of awesome, helpful whatnots, um, there were a lot of people who picked up this book. So... I hope that they're... I, well, I, I'm now feeling bad. If, if people picked it up because I liked it and they didn't, I do feel bad. Well, they... But at the same time, yeah, I don't feel that bad because I liked it. Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you should. I, I guess what I, all I was actually putting in place was I do hope for the sake of the book that more people felt 
the way you did than the way that I did. And I don't, you know, I, and I mean that quite sincerely, because like I said, I'm kind of willing to concede the fact that there's just something that is maybe not to taste, I guess, mm. for me. Uh, with well, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great book. And, a, but a lot of that for me is Greg Land. Like I, I'm, I am unable to divorce my dislike for him mm -hmm. with the faults I find in the book. Does that make sense? Like, I really yes. think that things that I thought, things that I thought I had a tin ear for, I would have forgiven with a different artist, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily excuse them. Yeah. But, it, you know, it happens. It happens as many art, uh, artists and writers that I'm like, oh, this really isn't working. But the same script could have been done with a completely different artist. And I'd be like, holy shit, did you see that bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. well, it could, I don't know. It's a, t it's a tough call because, you know, there is, it's a, it's a big action scene at the end. And I thought that it was more or less worked for what it was, but there's a lot of talking. So unless you had a very dynamic artist doing the scene, and, and frankly, I think looking at the, at the, you know, the number of panels per page, the number, the way that um, Land is actually tries to break out the pacing of the scene from page to page. Although I think, I think if we had the time, and it may it may not really be worth it. It would be really curious to go through that whole Tony Stark nightclub scene and see if the pacing choices, the the panel layout change ups that Land does from page to page, actually serve the story or the effect of the story. Or just kind of feel kind of amateurishly, well, they probably shouldn't all be the same. So let me do this six panels. Okay, now let me do this six panels. Because there's, you know, there's a page of very, when Tony and Pepper are talking, that are really super, that last page of them is a series of relatively super tight close-ups that are done, you know, widescreen. Uh, and so at one point, like, Pepper is talking to Tony Stark's jaw like Tony is suddenly like leaning back and throwing his arms and would have been hitting Pepper in the head if she'd been sitting there, but suddenly she's sitting across from him. Like it's odd. It's odd stuff. So yeah, I mean, the art's not great. It, it It's possible that if the art had been fantastic, it would have been, it would have worked. But I don't really remember being really knocked out by Salvador La Roca's stuff um, on the first 15, 20 issues of Fractions Iron Man. And I felt like that had enough of a narrative thrust that that it worked for me, you know? Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is I disliked as opposed to had an absence of liking. Yes, yes. <laughs> but but what, what, okay, so spinning off that in another comic, Fantastic Four issue one mm -hmm. is the, I have an absence of liking for the art. Mm -hmm. And again, I wonder if had I liked the art, I would I like the comic more? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because it's a comic that I read, and I was like, huh, he gave it a really good try. <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? Like, yes. I, it's, it's, it, it's an okay first issue. And who, who's Perfect. the team on that it's again? Matt, it's Mark Fraction and, uh, sorry, Matt Fraction and Mark Bagley. Uh-huh. Um, and it is, you can definitely tell that Matt has read all his Fantastic Four comics. Mm -hmm. The characters sound right. Mm -hmm. In a way that they haven't for a long time. Oh, that's really interesting and good to hear. Um, but what they do 
is very Matt Fraction, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, so you're left this with, with this weird thing where the plot mechanics are entirely visible, mm-hmm. but the characters sound right. Right. And so you have this weird goodwill for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so things like uh, Mr. Fantastic's cellular structure is breaking down in the comic. So he has he has a limited time to live. Uh and instead of instead of being Mr. Fantastic, as I would understand him, I'm being like, okay, I'm gonna solve it. Right. He's kind of like, I'll ask my supercomputer if there's any solution in the known universe. <laughs> and then the supercomputer's like, no. And he jokes, well, what about the unknown universe? Hmm, wait. And you know, for me, Mr. Fantastic would immediately just be like, I will find the solution. Right. You know, like that that doesn't seem right. There's a Yancey Street scene with uh the thing that I don't actually understand what's happening on the page. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Like I I the art is so unclear. Mm-hmm. From what I I can tell happens is the Yancey Street guy jump on Ben Grimm and then he falls through the floor, maybe. Huh. Potentially, but I'm not sure if he does or if he's just lying down on the floor and he can't get up easily. Huh? And then he's really upset. Like it's, it's really unclear. But again, he sounds like Ben Grimm, right? And you're like, it's a Yancey Street thing. So you know, I've got the goodwill. I really want this comic to succeed, but it's not. But I really want it to. Right now, uh, because I can actually, um, I, I can actually be enough of a dick to say this. Do the Yancey Street people then are like, yeah, we're going to put you on trial for destroying our street, you bastard, when, you know, the world was being destroyed by the event written by the exact same writer. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I love they, that. Way, they call him a sellout dummy and they run away. Yeah, see, which is, oh, I had this weird thing where I'm like, I don't know. I mean, admittedly, considering how fast he hand-waved the rest of Fear itself, it would have been great if they had hand-waved Yancey Street, but they didn't. So I kind of thought, like, okay, so this is going to be a thing, I guess. Wait, didn't they, didn't they hand-wave Yancey Street? Did they? Wait, was was there a lot of fallout from that? I don't know. I don't, I, I I don't, don't think there was. I, th- I think it was hand-waved. I think it was pretty much like, well, no, cause, New York could be destroyed. Right, right. I feel like the, the hand-waving, I mean, they... Hand-waving actually presupposes some effort. You know what I mean? Like, hand-waving is like, ah, as opposed to ignoring, which I don't think is is a hand-wave. It's just ignoring it. You know, let's pretend that never happened. Because wasn't the whole fear itself, like, the funeral of Thor, hand-wave, you know, Winter Soldier, hand-wave, you know, and there was one yeah. other one that no, got... No, that's true. They, do, they did totally just ignore. Uh, the, hand, the other hand-wave was, we've killed all of Paris, no, we haven't. Yes, They've exactly. That's it. By Odin. Yeah, exactly. They went to the trouble of saving Paris, but not Yancey Street in that sense. And so there is kind of that. Whereas opposed, it was just kind of a, ha, 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 ha. well, that was kind of cool, wasn't it? So anyway, uh, okay. So so something. Yeah, so it's a really really weird book. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's missteps. Uh, what something annoyed me, and it, it's you you know the Fantastic Four. You can tell me why this shouldn't annoy me, even though it really does. Okay. So each of the four gets their scene, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Fantastic is investigating what's happening to his cellular structure. Right. That's his scene. Okay. Ben Grimm goes and breaks up Fight Club on Yancey Street and falls through a floor or doesn't. That's his scene. <laughs> right. Uh, the Human Torch takes out his girlfriend, who's going to become Miss Thing in Fantastic Four, in FF, mm-hmm. and gives her his 
direct phone line mm-hmm. because hey, she's really awesome. That's his scene. Right. Sue Sue Richard's scene is she puts the kids to bed and checks on everyone in the house. <laughs> like it's not just like I find that offensive, and I I feel like I shouldn't because Sue has always been the mother of the Marvel Universe, sure. quote unquote. Right. But I really did find that offensive. Well, I was like, wait, so that's her that's her thing. Uh, yeah, but let's put it this way: Johnny Storm's thing is. And, and it's always tough saying thing when you start talking about Fantastic Four. That's cool, yeah. <laughs> is is pretty minimal. You know what I mean? Like if you had that, if if Johnny Storm had been a female character, it probably would have stuck out too. Oh, actually, but here's the thing: this, that scene takes place in the negative zone, where you get reminded that he's the ruler of the negative zone. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well then, so there's a maybe, maybe I'm I'm kind of having that thing of like, but if you swapped it and turned that character into a female, like you would have criticisms about it. But no, that does sound it sounds bad. You know the thing that's funny. Uh, again, never say the word thing uh, and then discuss a Fantastic Four comic because you just turn into a self-conscious uh, item that is funny. Yeah, <laughs> that is amusing. <laughs> that's what we should do. So, I agree like if you look back at the very first fantastic four number one they have the individual sequences with the characters to introduce now admittedly each character pretty much only gets a page but each of them sort of gets to use their powers and do their uh shtick almost a thing wait wait if you're going to say that this is in tune with the original fantastic four that was published 50 years ago no i'm going to say that it actually sounds like it suffers a little bit by comparison in a in a way, because there you at least had, I mean, God help her. It was Sue Storm turning invisible and running out of a dress shop. But at least you had, it was, uh, here's her, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Prayers, yeah. Yeah. It's like, here's her powers. You're seeing them in action. And so I, what was fascinating was you were telling me about where each of these characters were kind of at. and And I was like, oh, it's going to be. A little bit like the Fantastic Four, where you introduce all of them at a go, and then you bring them together, and there's kind of that feeling of like these characters are all each kind of weird and interesting on their own, and then even more so, they're all part of a team. And I thought that was like, oh, that's kind of a clever way that Fraction's approaching the idea. Maybe he thought he was doing it by showing where they were at emotionally, I guess, but it sort of sounds more like it was just like plot mechanics it's like i know what i have to do with mr fantastic i know what i've got to do with human torch ben and sue storm are filler and ben Grimm. one of the great things about him is he has shtick you know um yeah he can be filler in yeah. a weird way you, you can just be like ah, and then he you know he says some wacky things and sure enough he gets a punchline to the the Yancy, uh, street thing where they put it up on youtube or whatever the terrible youtube the latest youtube analog is which is called i think it's called youtube oh well at least it's not called stand tube because that would have been very funny i <laughs> that was i would have liked that it is called new youtube new T-O-O-B, because, you know, obviously. Um, And so you get a punchline where, actually in the middle of Sue's thing, where she's walking through the house and Beckram's like, how do you delete things off the internet? Which is a great line. (laughs) Yeah, that is great. I mean, so so it's tough. Like, if I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, 
you could say that arguably there's not a lot of Sue Storm shtick that you can fall back on when the character's not doing anything, I suppose. I, I guess that's my guilt at being offended. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like, that's ridiculously reductive and sexist. Right. But at the same time, that is kind of her shtick. Yeah. That's a little... Well, but... I, I, that, that in itself is a problem, I guess. Well, okay. But it's not like he's not being true to the character. Right. He's being true to the character, and that character kind of sucks a little bit. But, okay, so here's here's the thing. What, what if you showed... Sue Storm basically putting her kids through almost like a danger room type simulation or something where she is like making them roll around in like force bubbles or turning obstacles invisible and they've got to figure out how to get around them. And then you at least see some powers. I mean, admittedly. I mean, like you could even have Sue Storm checking in everyone, but putting the kids to bed using her invisible powers. Yeah, Do you exactly. Know what I mean? mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. lifting them up with whatever her right. invisible yeah, the force, force shield, shield or right. whatever they yeah, call it. Exactly. Like that at least would make her active as opposed to literally wandering through the house. Yeah. 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 I think I, I it it seems to me I, I can see if nothing else, I think part of why it frustrates you is because it sounds like you said Fraction has taken has gone to great lengths to read his FF and get the sound of the characters. And and frankly, when he was doing his FF Tumblr, he had some great stuff in there. Um, but he, but it sounds like he didn't really put a lot of effort into doing more than that. You know what I mean? Like it sounds. I, I haven't picked up the issue, so I don't know how the rest of it goes. But apart from putting the pieces of the puzzle in place and getting the character voices right, like we had, we had the, a name for that back when I was growing up, and we called them unspectacular comic books. You know what I mean? It, that's just a comic book. Like that's a de minimis comic book. Like okay, the characters sound like the characters. Your pieces of your plot are in place. That's what you're supposed to do every month, you know? And so there is kind of a little bit. I can see where you'd be a little bit like, he, it doesn't sound like either he's not trying hard enough or, see, again, it gets in, but down to that mysterious world of like, but then later we'll find out that he actually read FF comics until his eyes started squirting blood. No, so no, he exactly. Really like, hard. I feel like constantly we're like, well, if only they tried harder. And I think it's a, that's a really dangerous thing to say right. because they could be trying their hearts out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't really, you know. And just jail for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. But I do get the sense that it, it sounds to me like it didn't, it didn't quite gel and you really wanted it to, which is the flip side of, you know, uh, all new, Bendis's all new X-Men where nothing gelled and you just, you know, at least in my case, not to put words in your mouth, were, were annoyed to the point of being offended, you know, by how little work would, by, again, it's that thing of work and effort, but whatever it is, the, um, it's the fascinating. X-factor. Yeah, the X factor. I have to say that this is, this is this really interesting thing that I'd never noticed um, in my level of comics discourse. And I think that it's actually a common one of, this idea of people aren't working hard enough, you know, like I don't understand, like I just realized like, wow, this is like this, is it, it, do we expect a certain amount of labor or I don't think so. I, you know, is that especially I, I, like, I don't think it's essentially labor. I think the problem is that people expect a level of professionalism yeah, and level of competency. Right. But the problem is that's entirely subjective or objective rather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it's very easy whenever you're disappointed with something for any reason mm-hmm. to be like, well, this just felt lazy. Oh, okay. or, so you're it saying it feel, is subjective. It didn't really feel that they worked this through. Mm. Do you I, not think? I, it, 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 well, yes, I sort of think so. But I'm I, actually... I, I think the whole lazy or, you know, they didn't work hard enough is entirely projection based upon your level of expectation. Mm-hmm. Of the creators and of the characters. Well, yes. I think, I, I see, here's my thing. I was really hoping to go all um, uh, a bold riard on you and be like, you know, I've realized that subconsciously the level at which we associate work for hire with the concept of work and therefore when we read a book, we instantly talk about the concept of the labor put into it, you know, which is kind of a, a groovy French, hey, look at me, I just had two marijuana cigarettes kind of way of <laughs> talking about things, but I don't think is actually true. But there is something to be said. I realize now that there are times when the characters, you know, these characters have all been around long enough and we've read them when they quote unquote work, to use the other sense of the term. Like, oh, this works, you know? Yeah. And, and, and there's enough of a fluidity or indeterminacy of the term that when they don't work, your instant thing is to say that the people who are crafting it aren't working hard okay. enough. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's it's kind of a very weird... Because um... here's the thing. I don't think you get it in creator-owned comics because in almost every instance of a creator-owned comic, it's the first time you're experiencing those characters in that story. Right. Whereas for the Fantastic Four, there are 50 years of stories to go back on, and you have your ideal of the perfect Fantastic Four story because of that. Right. So you're like, well, I know that with the right ingredients, and if people really try hard enough, yeah. this can be great, because when I was 10, this was great. Right, right. And and the do- and really, though, the double-edged sword of of those characters are... On the one hand, you have a fondness for the characters that's inherent that you that, but the the flip side of it is you are you know the creators are competing against a platonic ideal that you have well, that, experienced. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, yeah. will we ever really genuinely get a Fantastic Four story that works for us in the way that the original Fantastic Four stories did? Right. No, because we're not we're fighting against. Not only our expectations, Mm -hmm. which are so individual that Mm -hmm. you can never meet or exceed all of them at once. Right. But also the 50 years worth of stories that have been written about these characters. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I definitely did have that feeling. Like walking back to Marvel now, there was this idea of like, I'm like, okay, I've read so much stuff about these characters. I don't necessarily know what you can do that's quote unquote new about them. So I think there is a level where I walked into it being to like, okay, I'm willing to settle. You don't necessarily have to show me something new, but it gets to a level of like, let's have, well, maybe it is something new. It's like competence plus zing. You know what I mean? Like, I just want. Yeah, but competence plus, plus zing, for example. I mean, I think that right now Morrison's action is giving me competence plus zing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Simon, he's older than the Fantastic Four. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I... I I don't think it's impossible. Well, agreed. And I think that's why we're not throwing in the the towel on this whole, like, let's talk about these comic books and talk about why we... Because I do believe that we have the... There is the potential for you to take these characters. And if not 
do something earth-shakingly new, you can do the competence plus zing on them, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and that, I, that's, interestingly enough, I think that's why I was so surprised by Avengers. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's nothing new. It's Justice League International for the Avengers. Right. Right. But it has the zing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In part because it's so not the Bendis approach. Mm-hmm. And it's so not the Bendis tone. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And that automatically gives a zing. Yeah. Because one man has been in charge of this franchise for eight years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and has written, like, over 200 fucking Avengers comics. Yeah. Um, and so that alone gives it some level of zing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that on top of that, it's just good quality. Right. Which... Which is which is a factor that's been missing from a lot of those two hundred issues, and therefore has its own sort of zing. Uh, I don't know. You know, it would be really interesting to lock me in a room with all of Bendis's Avengers output, and I don't know. See how long it takes for me to go insane. I was going to say like, and have me read it and really be like, you know what? I I've been a little too hard on Bendis, or I I think it would be a really frustrating experience. I I would think I, so too. If in if only because. I feel that all of Bendis's Avengers mm-hmm. was like prologues to something that never actually happened. Yeah, yeah, all I would say his that. His stories ended up with, oh, but just you wait. Mm-hmm. You think that was the main event? Oh, look, here's the, you know, final four pages of the comic where someone's going to come on and be like, ho, 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 everything's <laughs> not what you think it is. But I feel like he did that every single arc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm... Hmm. And I think on that level, it's just a pure plot level. Mm-hmm. It's really frustrating. Oh, well, that's it. I, th- I think for me, even though I don't think of myself as, as much of a... You really just have to make the proper nods toward a plot. Like, you can probably give me the most formulaic plot in the world, and I would prefer it to something that's plotless. Um, I was going to say in Dumb, which shows you how strong my bias is. But I remember, like, it was like first second avengers storyline whatever it was where they all ended up tied up in the hot tub in the savage land and that's the first one <laughs> yeah it's the first one and they basically because there's avengers disassembled it's the first arc of new avengers first first arc of new avengers right you know and they they run it ends with that woman who's like the shield double agent or something running off into the the savage land like on fire and the Avengers are just like, okay, well, time to go home. Like, you know, separate and apart from the, like, they don't even, like, maybe Bendis threw in a panel, like, oh, oh, well, that's enough looking, you know, like, because it is kind of standard to have a supervillain oh, just kind of. Uh, do you read the Too Busy Thinking About My Comics blog? Uh, yes, although have, I'm hitting this about it. Have you read this post about the last arc of, Avenger, uh, of Bendis' Avengers? No. Oh, you want to read it then? I, I would love to. <laughs> I really would. He's he's pretty much addressing exactly that sort of thing, but for the Wonder Man story arc, which never came to anything. Oh no, they didn't do anything with it. That was like the so, so Wonder Man like is like you've got to take apart the Avengers. They're going to be really dangerous. Yes. and then he formed Avengers. Yes, the and he's like you've got to take apart the Avengers. We're going to beat you up, and then they get beaten up. Yeah, and then apparently in the last Bendis arc, which I've not read, he pretty much comes back. And he's like, listen, you guys, now that I have a time to think about it, I was wrong. I'm really sorry, <laughs> and they're all like, well, that's okay. That's and that, so bad. And you've got the guy from Too Busy Thinking About Comics basically going, what? Yeah. <laughs> really? No one is like, 
you attacked us and tried to kill us. No one, no one has any reaction to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Well, and and it's it's also appalling because I don't know how I don't know how I ended up with a copy, but I read like there was some Avengers annual that was eighty some odd pages. I think painted by that damn Secret that, War it. guy. That's that's the last time you saw Wonder Man before he came back and apologized. Wow, wow, that is so bad. He's apologized, and now that he now he's going to be in Avengers again, he's going to be one of the uncanny Avengers. Right, right. Which I remember in the press conference, I'm going to be like, "Oh, we're going to address that." He feels really bad about it, which I'm just like, "What?" That does seem to be like the new character motivation at Marvel. You know, you they've got a lot to work. They've got a lot of guilt. They yeah. feel really bad. They're really motivated by their guilt. Yeah, which is classic Marvel, isn't it? Am I right? Can I get a high five? No, it feels. High five, everybody. When, whenever a character needs motivation now, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, so he's been a dick and he's got a tone for it. And oh. it's like, was that not just like Spider-Man before? <laughs> was that not a Spider-Man shtick? Ah. Can other characters not have other motivations now? No. Uh, no, they can't. And- <laughs> you know, actually, what this is one of the things that uh, I would love to sit down because I don't I honestly I don't know enough about it. But I, I'm going to, you know, in, in the back of my head, I've been working on this theory, which is predicated on, as is usual with most of my theories, an entirely mistaken assumption, which is that there are two groups of superhero comics fans. There are though <laughs> there are the ones who divide them into two groups and the ones who don't uh, No, there's. <laughs> Go waka waka. <laughs> Why try the veal? Uh, two groups: the the ones who enjoy and watch wrestling, uh, and the ones who don't. You know, but I because wrestling always seems to me like it's like superhero comics, but very different. And and there's a way in which people that I know and respect, and Chad Nevitt, for example, is is just one of. <laughs> People who I don't respect on Orchard. No, no, no. Who I have respect for and who, uh, maybe I phrase it wrong, and know a lot about wrestling and about superheroes. And I would really like to sit down and talk to them because they've made it sort of, in various ways, they've made the case for why, essentially, what's great about wrestling uh, at various points. But I've never, like, sometimes I really wonder if the very seemingly arbitrary way that wrestling plays out with characters who are faces then doing their heel turn and then eventually doing back their face turn again. You know what I mean by that, right? Not in the slices. Good guy becomes a bad guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then and swears vengeance against their former partner and says lots of bad stuff and then maybe kicks a couple of babies. Then they wrestle. He's humbled. Then usually there's a storyline where he ends up being the underdog and redeems himself. Or they usually what happens? I I I don't usually. What do I know? It could be Galactus coming down from the sky. I honestly don't know. But I'm assuming there's something else that then later they end up turning good again. They end up teaming up with their old tag team partner to take on another pair that seems kind of dickish. That there's a lot of um, so the it's really the idea is you've got a character they're good and then they turn bad and and then they turn good again and it's one of those things that really everyone in wrestling is pretty okay with because it it gives the storyline and the arc and all that sort of stuff. Actually, I think Paul O'Brien's pretty into wrestling too now that I think about it. Um, I kind of sometimes feel like 
that is precisely what I dislike about modern Marvel comics and makes me wonder if like maybe modern Marvel, like unmistakably, there's a lot of guys who are wrestling fans, I'm sure who are writing for comics and are very comfortable with this idea of like, yeah, you have a guy and then he does a heel turn um, and then he atones for it and everyone basically forgives him because, you know, that's Otherwise, you do. don't have a story. Yeah, exactly. You, it, it's just, it's just inherent in the concept. But that's just it. Like, there's no story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, that's that's my problem with Bendis's adventures overall. Yeah. It feels like he was always building to something that never happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To the point where even when things did happen, it kind of felt like they didn't happen. Yeah. Well. That could be. I'd have to go back and reread it. For me, I just felt like the stuff that was happening wasn't really happening because it was, uh, it just felt like such a weak broth. You know, it was just like, it was, it was, it was gruel. He was really like, uh, but I'm really giving you what you're here for, which is the dialogue, even though most of the characters now kind of sound alike. But I'm going to throw in an action, awesome scene where spoilers the century throws someone into the sun and it, you're just sort of i don't know it was I, I was always underwhelmed by his stuff but it it's interesting i didn't follow it enough to really pay attention to the oh but this is building to something bigger you know it's interesting that if that's true in that sense bendis's avengers run really did shape how the rest of the marvel universe sort of came together for a long time up until Marvel now, I guess. Uh, or And I'm sure because I haven't seen well, one and, next and event. Well, and past. I mean, we still haven't had the Avenger, the Ultron arc. Right. Right. Well, yeah, but I think of the but Ultron example, War stuff the, um, as Avengers. The end of the first arc of the uh, Bendis' Avengers, mm -hmm. the John Romita one. Uh-huh. Because um, that's all about, or maybe it's the second arc. Whichever arc has um, the Infinity Gauntlet in it. Uh -huh. I think it's the second arc now that I think about it. Is it the second arc? Um, ends with the Illuminati giving the Infinity uh, Gems out to each other again. Like, uh, they, there's their, their end is, they're like, well, this could never happen. Yes, let's all be honest about this. Let's all keep all, each other on the same page. And then cut to all of them being like, let's be secretive and pass them out between each other again. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is foreshadowing, as we understand it, right? Right, as we traditionally understand it. This will but, have a payoff but it later. No, it mm -hmm. goes to nothing. Like, I feel like he did that a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing of, like, you think it's over, but it's not. Well, doesn't that seem like the kind of thing that they do on episodic TV a lot? Yeah, but normally they do it because they're building to something. Do you know what I mean? Like, normally they do it because they have a season-long arc that they're building to. Sometimes. I mean, I probably most of the times. But I, I'm like, I would swear that I've seen that in 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 self-contained tv episodes where the idea is is that the um the nobody really learns anything episode you know what i mean like they do it where it's set up where it's like we've learned our lesson and then the little coda scene suggests that nobody really learns anything and it's not necessarily like in in a lot of shows you're right it does come back to build towards something else and you would certainly think considering you've got a bunch of dudes actually doesn't didn't it was Professor X one of the Illuminati? Yes. So does he have one of the Infinity Gems? Maybe. Well, not anymore. He's dead. 
why would he be dead if he had an infinity gem? Like, depending on which one that he had. Like, he might, he might not have had the I'm going to die, infin- like, I can save myself from dying infinity gem. Dude, all of the infinity gems are pretty awesome. You know, it's not no, like... No, but now they're, like, specific things. Well, sure, they're all specific things. But, like, it'd be great if he's like, I've got the one that allows me to run really fast. Fuck all of you, you know? But, uh, no, but, yeah, but they each do something. I'm... I can't use my legs. It's that <laughs> time of the year where I can't use my legs. Exactly. Exactly. I'm uh, kind of embarrassed. Yeah. I, well, I'm I, just... I took the wrong one. Right. It's stupid. How did I... Shit. I knew I should have made a little color chart telling me which one. Fuck. This does nothing for me. Nothing. I'm just actually realizing, like, you've got Avengers versus X-Men. You had people on both sides running around with Infinity Gems, and no one even used them. Or did they? I don't know. Is no, that a no, spoiler? they didn't. Oh, I mean, Avengers vs. X-Men makes no sense either. It's Avengers vs. X-Men. Oh, no, the entire world is enslaved. Should we call it Fantastic Four? Nah. Right. Well, even, should I use my Infinity Gem? Eh. No, why? Mm-mm. Oh, you know what I read? I read, a, I read an Avengers vs. X-Men Infinity comic. Um, oh, you did? Which one? Uh, I think it's the one... It's the one where you, like, you like uh, hit the screen and somebody's... The angle of their face changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so distinctive, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, it's it's issue number six. Avengers versus X-Men. A, a, a versus X. Avengers versus X-Men, issue six, Infinite, where... Uh, where Cyclops goes to the moon. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. And I have to say, like, a lot of the little storytelling tricks or ticks or whatever, um, sometimes they didn't work, but they weren't nearly as annoying as, like, motion comics, you know? And there were ways in which the you have, like, a panel of a character, and then you've got the, like, like an overlay panel or something. In this case, when I say the character, it was always Cyclops. But it was kind of... It, I don't know. There were bits where, I, it, as like a little trick, I'm like, huh, this little trick has some potential. That story, man, though, I got to tell you. Also, Cyclops, his costume is so hilariously bad. Oh, it's great, isn't it? It's not just I the have, red thong. I have the power of a god, so I'm thinking I'm adding a red thong. The red thong, I would, I would have expected, but, but when they do that, and I know that whoever was doing this issue did it deliberately, but. His visor looks like a beak. It looks like the fucking bird beak, you it's know? It's meant to. I know. And I'm like, they turned Cyclops into Chicken Man? You know, like I was... <laughs> Red Thong Chicken Man. Jeff. Red Thong Chicken Man, which let's face it, that is a Craigslist uh, ad that I never <laughs> want to answer ever. Uh, you have to know, I've just looked up the Infinity Gems. Uh, mm-hmm. Professor Xavier had the Mind Gem. What what does that mean? Uh, it allows the user to greatly greatly strengthen and enhance mental and psionic power, and access the thoughts and dreams of other beings. Backed by the Power Gem, the Power Gem uh, is owned by Namer, by the way. Um, the Mind Gem can access all minds in existence simultaneously. Hmm. Well, that that would have sucked. I mean, that it, it's like I'm like, huh? They, and yet didn't do. I just love the idea. He's like, here's what? the funny thing. So let's just imagine. AVX, the people who had the Infinity Gems used them. Yes. Let's imagine that Wikipedia is correct in who currently has each Infinity Gem. Yes. AVX could have ended really quickly mm-hmm. because 
Iron Man has the Space Gem, which allows the user to exist in any or all locations, or move any object anywhere throughout reality, and warp or rearrange space. The Phoenix is coming? That's okay. I can use my magical yeah, gem. They will and never just get there. It off to the other side of the universe. That sucks. That or, sucks so bad. Frost has the time gem, which allows the user total control over the past, present, and future. Wait, who has that so, one? Steve Rogers. Oh my god. So you know, if if he felt bad about, let's just say, the death of Professor Xavier, <laughs> he could stop it. Hey, why doesn't he go back and stop Iron Man shooting the Phoenix? Why doesn't he go back and prevent anything to do with any of AVX ever? I don't know. Maybe because they all fucking forgot he had these Infinity Seriously. Gems. Well, this is it. I'm uh, actually Doctor thinking... Doctor Strange, by the way, has Soul Gem. Uh-huh. Um, Mr. Fantastic has the Reality Gem, which allows the user to fulfill wishes... Even if the wish is in direct contradiction with scientific laws, that would come in useful if, for example, his cellular breakdown. Yes! Oh my breakdown. god, see, this is it. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And this has been happening for a long time. And back in the old days, one of the things that I always appreciated about Marvel is Steve Englehart would step in and go like, hey, remember how all these guys have soul gems, but none of them have used them in the case of emergencies? Let's let's look at why. And the and the thing is, is that one person took the and I mean, really, given the choice with the Red Skull, like would I rather have the mind gem or Professor X's brain? Although, admittedly, if I I was going to put Professor X's brain inside a sexy gorilla body, hmm. (laughs) he's going to use Professor X's brain to put inside like, you know, the goat faced girl's brother, the dog faced boy. Oh, I thought you were going to say the goat-faced girl, who I'm already is like my pick for a sexy icon for the Marvel universe. <laughs> the goat-faced girl, by the way, her power is that her stare takes away your powers. See, I did love the fact that those characters were so like second-rate Grant Morrison Doom Patrol villains, you know, which were already second-rate. Like, I do so, love so that they were all. listen to the decompressed, because Reminder talks about how he's gone into like forgotten myth and legend to come up with the origins of these characters. Oh, really? Yeah, seriously. Well, I believe it after The Living Wind. Because there was something about The Living Wind where it's like, it's either somebody's awesome fart joke or it's like a (laughs) mythic, you know, it's some sort of like bizarro myth sort of thing. So, and and there was the one, particularly the, there's like the blue chick with the, that looks like a, you know, hot kraken. I hope that's her name. Where she's like got the, the weird serpent tail thing or it is hot cracking but hot is spelled h-a-w-t <laughs> hot <laughs> hot cracking <laughs> i tell you graham they really should they just before they release the marvel comics they should just send the art to us and let us write them because i think we would <laughs> that's gonna work definitely hey we've been talking for a very long time yes we should really run through the other comics that we've read very quickly before we finish okay uh, let me just so, mention, oh no, you're going to go, you go. You, A plus X, what did you think? I, I'm probably going to be damned to the lowest levels of hell. It probably helps that, uh, I paid no money for it. I enjoyed it. I actually liked that Captain America and Cable story by Dan Slott and Ron Garney. I think Garney's work looked a lot stronger than I'm used to seeing it. And it, I don't know, it was just a, it was a weird, dumb, like it was Considering I was like, okay, these are just going to be two eight-page or ten-page fill-in stories, I'm not expecting too much. 
Dan Slott's, I thought, was surprisingly enjoyable, I guess. I mean, you know, like lots of little fun touches, like when they feed the little uh, punch cards into the Sentinel. I thought that was, I mean, it makes no sense. Slot's also hanging lanterns on his storyline as badly as Bendis ever did, where Bucky's like, why are they burying all of this, you know, in the ground instead of just using the firepower? Which is, which I guess for whatever reason helps because it's a very smart-assed um, uh, spin on the, the classic Captain America when the sleeper wakes stories, mm-hmm. which this this whole little 10-pager is kind of a riff on. But I liked that. The the whole, like, Wolver, you know, uh, then we get to the Jeff Loeb portion of things, which I, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that I didn't like. But weirdly enough, because they were both time travel related, I was kind of like, it would be really cool if A plus X looks like it's fun fill-in stories, but there's actually a larger meta-narrative, or meta-narrative, a larger narrative that they're all tying into, which is this bizarro time war thing. But it's not. It's just, I don't know what. how Well, you, you don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. In which case, so yeah, I, I liked it, mainly for the Dan Slot thing. Uh, if it was like the sort of book that was like, a dollar ninety nine or ninety nine cents uh, for sale on comics, especially for ninety nine cents, because the because the Jeff Loeb thing I did not think was especially great, and it looked weird too. Like I don't know the guy who was it who was drawing it. It's like one of the Dale Kuhn. He must have oh because he used to draw the Hulk, so the Hulk yeah. stuff all looked fine. But I swear to God, whatever I'm like, wow. That guy has apparently never been commissioned to do a Wolverine drawing ever because every time he drew Wolverine, like old Logan, he was okay, but like new Wolverine, I'm like, that dude looks wrong. How did they fuck that up? And so scenes with him, like with the Hulk, I'm like, wow, that just looks bad. It looks like when you took, like when you're applying two separate stickers on your, on your peachy binder and they're not done by the same artist, you know? And it looks a little weird, except it's the same story. A plus X. Kind of liked it, I have to say. Thus invalidating everything else that I've said this week. And you? Um, I have read, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, Saga Issue 7. Still really like it. I was actually kind of nervous before reading it. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, is it just that it had a really good launch, and when I go back to it, I'm not going to be feeling it. I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm very sort of relieved mm-hmm. to have enjoyed mm-hmm. it as much as it did. But yes, it's still as good. I saw, I think, Sean Witzke tell me on Twitter that he doesn't feel it anymore after multiple warheads. Mm. They do such different things for me that mm-hmm. I, I I am still okay with it. I'm still down with Saga. Batman issue 14. Uh, you will remember I made fun of Batman issue 13. Oh, yes. Um, I am not going to do that anymore. I thought Batman issue 14 was actually really good. Wow. Um. I I'm not entirely buying into everything Scott Snyder is selling, mm-hmm. but I think I've finally come around to Greg Capullo is allowing me to paper past some of the mm. the more weak parts of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad issue 14 is a tie-in that I got mailed by DC, mm. and it's not spectacular. It's kind of it feels very much oh shit, we've just realized Harley Quinn is in the Batman issues. We should probably do a tie-in to this, seeing she's the lead character in our book. Mm-hmm. But 
outside of that, it was actually it was much better than issue one, which sounds like weird damning with faint praise, but does make me wonder whether it's actually a good suicide comic when mm. it's not tying into other storylines. Mm. Interesting. The fact that the fact they've apparently killed off Deadshot huh. made me pay attention. Yeah. Mm. Um, Batgirl issue fourteen is another tie-in, mm-hmm. which I got mailed uh, from DC, and I'm not quite sure why everyone's like i didn't see that coming because i did (laughs) i saw both of the big reveals coming really um yeah and i don't read batgirl Mm. (laughs) um so i don't know if it's one of those things that because i don't read it it was more obvious to me right uh but let's just say that the cover for me actually ruins the second reveal wow i don't understand how anyone can see the cover and then not get the the last part of the book Hmm. Um, Sausage Country number whatever number this is number nine apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am still liking. I really don't think it's long for this world, and I hope that Paul Cornell gets to where he wants to go. I especially liked the idea that the you're not you're not reading this book at all, are you? Uh, well, I don't mean by at all, but I don't think I I think I gave up dropped it by issue three maybe if that. Okay, issue eight ends with. Uh, the main character being shot by an assassin. Mm. Issue 9 starts with her realizing that she has not actually been hit by the bullet. Hmm. Which sounds like a dodge until later on they pretty much are like, there's a reason for that and that's because the aliens are fucking about with you. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they turn, they, again, they hang a lantern onto it, but it's, it's actually, it's quite clearly a plot thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because she makes a, a, the reference that more or less her abduction experience mm-hmm. felt just like when she was being shot mm-hmm. there's some sort of bigger thing going on which i really appreciated think mm-hmm. it's going to get cancelled really soon sadly right uh but i hope it gets to a point zoster of silk issue two we've talked about zoster of silk before you know i'm horribly in favor yes what else did i read uh oh amazing spider-man 698 mm-hmm. uh in which for my money dan slot gives away who the new spider-man is Oh, really? But given the lack of everyone else seeing it online, I think I might be wrong. <laughs> Ooh. Well, here's the thing. Do you want to opine a guess? And keep in mind that thanks to, uh, uh, well, I, I, I always feel worried that like if I name the various whatnots who have contributed uh, to me, um, they'll somehow end up in jail. So I'm always like, I should say specifically that I read this issue because of this person, or maybe I shouldn't. But... I, will, I haven't, but I have, uh, I basically have issues 692 through, no, I'm sorry, 688 through like 696 to be read. So I will soon be caught up on Amazing Spidey. Um, for I think that it's Harry Osborn. Interesting. Why. He brings Harry Osborn back, who hasn't <laughs> been in the book. <laughs> reason i mean there's there's a reason mm-hmm. but it's one of those things that he had multiple ways of writing around the particular problem mm-hmm. and he chooses to bring harry osborn back for the first time in like 50 issues wow which just feels so like set up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but again it could be a fake out mm-hmm. he really could just be like ah, i'm fucking with you it's not really harry osborn but it's it was so odd it's interesting. It would be great if it's a red herring for people like you, but that, you know, but considering no one else really fell for it, it would be really 
hoping that it's not. I I I would actually be totally on board with Harry Osborn Spider Man for a while. Yeah. I think that could be really exciting. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Um and and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it it hits it kind of hits that potential sweet spot of something that old readers would might come back to check out, I guess, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know? So so I, I, I'm kind of hoping that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because earlier on on Twitter today, Benjamin Birdie was like, oh, I've just realized who Spider-Man is now. Mm-hmm. The, the cover to issue t- uh, to, I think it's Avenging Spider-Man issue 17 mm-hmm. by Paolo Rivera. Because mm-hmm. the cover has this, the new Spider-Man with these mask rays so you can see his chin. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's only one character that Paolo Rivera draws with that chin. Uh-huh. And it's like it's it's Harry Osborn. Hmm. I don't see it. Like he even emailed me because he wouldn't say on Twitter. He's like, I'm not going to say it publicly. I'm not going to do this in case I'm right. Mm-hmm. But he emailed me and he's like, Yeah, I think it's Harry Osborn. Oh. And then he sent me like, here's a link to the cover. Here's a link to Paul Rivera doing Harry Osborn in the past. Look at the chin. And I still don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm more than willing to um, credit him. If if that is in fact what's going on, right, right. Hmm. Interesting. I will be curious to see how that plays out. Then. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think if I should ask you about next week's 2000 AD or not. Uh, did you like this week's? I did like this week's. It didn't. It. I know you were kind of like ah, really. You know, you thought it was like it showed various levels of the vastness of, of what was going on with the, the conspiracy and the interlocking storylines. I, the city stuff. I, what's that? that issue. I finally got the God city stuff, the scale of the God city stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I heard the references to it and I was kind of like, I kind of get it. I kind of didn't get it. So it was kind of, but I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and, and I, again, the yes. next issue mm-hmm. raises the stakes again. Uh, in a couple of ways. Interesting. In both the dread strip and the low life strip. Hmm. You know, I really should try and make it a point to get a hold of those issues so I can start writing my head. Although I'm, I, I, I really did. It was, you know, I, I drove up to see my dad. Uh, you know, we said goodnight. I was going, going to bed at like, I don't know, 11, 11.30 at night or something like that. And I logged on to see if the 2000... Oh, I think I turned on my iPad and they told me that the issue was available to download. And I basically downloaded it and read it right there. And I'm enjoying it. I really are just like, I want to know what happens next. Well, (laughs) I'm having this weird thing. Part of it is, yeah, the dread... There's a number of storylines where it's like, I want to know what happens next. The other storylines aren't so much that. It's just... But I'm enjoying them. I really am just enjoying the 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 look and feel of them. Um, especially, you know, Brass Sun was so gorgeous. This issue, jeez, you know, I, I like I when it started, I mm-hmm. really was like, eh, and mm-hmm. now I'm completely sucked in by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really so. As a result of this, I should say, and also Julian Lewis Blair pointed out that um, Prague 2000. Prog 2012, that's how I should say it, the way regular people do. Prog 2012, which is the uh, Al Ewing's Choose Your Own Adventure Judge Dredd story, um, was available digitally for purchase, which it probably was through the website, but 
I will have to I will have to get that then because I have not read that and I oh, think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. I have to say, I was knocked out by by Choose Your Own Xmas, um, the the Al Ewing story. That was incredibly well done. So yeah, you read it and then maybe next time we can both talk about it. That would be kind of fun. The story. Oh, mm -hmm. Jeff, we're we're heading towards the most wonderful time of the year. I know you are such a Christmas person. It's great. I, so um. I, uh -huh. I I will be getting out my old copies of DC Universe Holiday Special. <laughs> You're laughing. I do that every year. I right? know you do, and I think it's great. I should actually I should actually because I think last year on Comicsology DC they made gave, them free. Yeah, they their previous years they at least one of the previous years was free for download. So <laughs> I like terrible. I just have to say that right. Yeah, now. yeah. I and I think I might have read it, and it left no impression oh, other I, than yeah. they're they're atrocious. Uh, they're even worse when they're like, "Hey, not everyone's a Christian. Let's do a Hanukkah story." <laughs> that those are always worse. Um, or, or even worse, what about Kwanzaa? <laughs> oh, have they done one a Kwanzaa story? I, I'm sure there's Kwanzaa story in one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just just they're they're even worse. But there's something about the shittiness that I I adore. You just you're just down with it. I've just remembered while we're talking. Uh, there's something else I read this uh, week which I wanted to tell you about. Ooh, and our listeners, um, Tune, the Derek Kirk Kim uh, webcomic has oh. its first collection out from first second. Oh really? Yes. Do you know about this? Mm -mm. No. And see, so you, you went again, but then you came back. Um, it is about uh, an art student who basically thinks he's better than than he, the world. He's, he thinks he's better than art school and so quits to get a job and cannot get a job and eventually finally takes a job. And the job he takes is to be a human in an intergalactic zoo. <laughs> um, and it's kind of wonderful. That sounds great. It, it is available online. I think it's available online at tunethecomic.com, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely go to First Second Books. You can. There's a link to it on firstsecondbooks.com. Okay. Um, but the collection is just out. It is $16.99, and it collects, uh, it's like 200 pages, 160, 155 pages. <laughs> and it's really good. It's tunecomic.com. It says at the back of the book. Interesting. Uh, well, how's it spelled? C-H? Tune, T-U-N-E. T-U-N-E. Okay, thanks. I kept hearing tune as in C-H-U-N-E, and I was like, huh. That's... Yeah, I talk. It's my the history of my 1990s rave culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that recommendation. Part of me wants to counter with one, but, but I'm also aware that we've talked for quite a while, and knowing you, you will have like another 19 hours of work to do after we jump, so... Another um. hour. <laughs> Maybe a bit longer. So, listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in for this. Um, we hope you enjoy and you have a great Thanksgiving, which is probably the week that you'll be listening to us if you're listening to us as soon as we post. Uh, there will be a skip week because we will not be recording on Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, you'll have time to catch up in case you've missed other episodes. Uh, I, I do want to throw in just a general thank you to Martin Gray, Julian Lewis Blair, Tim Riffenberg, Graham McMillan, Ben Lipman, and John Kane for super helpful above and beyond the Call of Duty whatnot-ism. Um, why, why am I part of that list? 
you, you may have provided me with a code. I didn't want to necessarily. No, no, I, I just think it's funny that you're thanking me for above and beyond what nerdism when, you know, I do the podcast with you. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, that's. I don't know what you're. What? You want a medal? Is that what you're saying? I swear to God, there's no pleasing you. That's it. <laughs> I want a medal. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. I, hey, that would be awesome. Anyway, uh, if any of you who listen to our podcast uh, happen to be uh, metalsmiths um, and would like to contact me, I apparently have a Christmas commission for you. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks to everyone. If you buy marvel comics and your digital codes are sitting there unused and you've not redeemed them at all even though i have a huge ton of comics to get through definitely feel free to send the codes along to wait what podcast at gmail.com and help help keep me current otherwise really my thanks to everyone for giving me uh, the ability to to have something to talk about even something kind of current to talk about with graham this podcast it definitely couldn't have happened without you so oh see that's lovely jeff i know you're clearly thankful for the listeners i am thanksgiving is there anything else you're thankful for oh uh, yeah, uh <laughs> i'm gonna put you in the spot hmm i'm thankful that the second episode of the current season of misfits didn't suck as bad as the first episode oh, say that i've not seen i any of them this season yet oh i that's funny i didn't even think you'd watch the show yet oh okay well, yeah, I'm, I'm, i just at the end of the second season oh oh okay well then i i that'll be an enjoyable future conversation at some point um oh, no, seriously i'm hopefully touch wood because i'm speeding through i'll hopefully be caught up maybe in a couple of weeks so we should definitely talk oh yeah i in fact it would not surprise me that it yeah by the next time we talk i bet you'd be caught up because they're 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 those delightful brit seasons so they you can power right through them pretty quickly all right uh yeah, how about you graham what else are you, what are you thankful for besides our our fantastic listeners and the exciting field of comics well obviously the exciting field of comics Jeff, come on. Uh, yes. I'm thankful for Misfits on Hulu, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thankful for you, Jeff Lester. Aw, thank I'm you. thankful man. for all the work you do on this podcast, because really, I just talk for two hours, and then you make magic happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have to figure out ways to cram those damn rabbits back into the hats so they can... I, I'm also thankful for the thing that is upcoming, but we probably can't talk about it yet, which my wife has been working on with you. Oh, yes. Uh, but hopefully next time, right? We can talk about that. Uh, uh, I'm hoping before the end of the year. Let's put it that way, because I'm still I'm still in the weeds. Uh, I'll be working on it tonight we'll and tomorrow. We'll save the rest of that until we are off yes. recording. Yeah, but yeah, all yeah. I mean is, listeners, there is something awesome coming your way. <laughs> Think really, no joke, drop dead awesome coming your way. Uh, what else am I thankful? I'm thankful for my lovely wife. Yeah, definitely. God, can you imagine where we would be without uh, our respective spouses? Oh man, uh, I mean, you. I don't know. You probably. in Britain. Yeah, you would be. I don't even know how we would necessarily even be talking. But yeah, I. Whereas I would be in so much squalor, and I'm not even talking about Britain. I'm just talking about my own life. It would be just terrible. So. <laughs> I'm thankful for respectful spices. Yes. That's yes. fun. I'll save the true stuff. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
why we're doing the holiday episodes because people you have no idea how much i truly love the holidays uh, this is great this is great and it's funny because we've been podcasting for years but i don't think we've really done tapped... up yeah yeah we haven't really we tapped should, this we out. should go all out <laughs> that's great because we're gonna have to figure out a way for you to pop up in santa claus you should have like sleigh bells right um, it's interesting because the the new the new Skype arrangement that I have has allowed us to actually sort of talk for this long and, and not you've only cut out a little bit toward the end, um, but we don't um, I can't I I haven't figured out how to play the audio clips on the podcast. The bad thing is, as you're talking about that, you're beginning to fade out at me. <laughs> I think that's a yeah, sign. <laughs> All right, Graham, do you, do you want to like sing us out then? <laughs>